Mike. Activate crowd control. Activated. That's a deal you offered? Only if you comply. Your crimes include multiple homicide and the attempted murder of a judge. If you do not comply, the sentence is death. You know, you aren't a very good negotiator, Judge. You know why? You got no fucking leverage! No, Yeah, now here's the deal. You let me walk or I blow fucking brains out, okay? Negotiation's over. Hey, what are you doing? Didn't you hear what I said? A gilbert! Yeah, I heard you hot shot. What? I said hot shot. Hello again, friends. This is the Film Effect Podcast. Good morning, Film Effect. That's it. Mm-hmm. That, that's the end of the game right there. That's World War Three. Fucking hot recording right now. I literally never wanted to punch movie in its face more than I had last night. Definitely worth your time. It's it's definitely worth revisiting. Fifteen minutes in, I'm like, uh, Dorothy, we're not in Oakland anymore. It's in 4K, buddy. Check it out. So we're kind of like an afternoon, you like drive time type thing, or like the type of podcast you listen to at work. So let's get down to the nitty gritty. Hello out there, and welcome to an all new episode of the Film Effect Podcast, the weekly show that deep dives into a different film each episode in an effort to give it what we call the full Film Effect treatment. I'm Ed. And I'm Corey. And this is Dread. feel as if time is passing at 1% its normal speed. If we play this right, we could take the whole city. Only 
one thing fighting for order in the chaos. The men and women of the Hall of Justice. Peace Trees is the manufacturing base for all the slow-mo in Mega City One. You know how often we get a judge up in Peace Trees? Well, you got one now. She has control of everything. Levels one to 200. This is Mama. Somewhere in this block are two judges. That's not good. I want him dead. We're gonna have to go through him. Rookie, you ready? Yeah. You look ready. Fire! Judgment time. Let's finish this. Dread in a violent futuristic city where the police have the authority to act as judge, jury, and executioner. A cop teams with a trainee to take down a gang that deals with the reality altering drug, slow mo. As if I needed another reminder that I'm getting old, dude. We're doing this film for a number of reasons. Number one, it's a film you specifically chose to do, and I happily obliged. But the other reason, and a perfectly fit one at that, is because this is the 10th anniversary of the film's world premiere at the 2012 San Diego Comic-Con. So yeah, Dread, here we blows go. Blows my mind. And it's crazy. Blows my mind. 10 years. It's awesome. I mean, it's awesome, but it's also <laughs> fucking scary too. You know, I, I have very, you know, good memories of seeing this with you theatrically, which we're about to get to in a little bit, but I'm happy we're covering this. You know, like I said, this is, this is more of one for you. And we'll get to mine eventually, like I mentioned last week on uh, fewer cast. But uh, yeah, like I said, I'm, I, happy I'm to excited. Do this. What, what, what is it about this film that you wanted to do it? What, what is it about this that you love so much that you really wanted to do it? Like, why dread of all the films? I don't know. I the one thing that always sticks out to me with this movie, and obviously you can't experience it like that anymore. To me, this was one of the few films that benefited from being in 3D. Where as we were sitting there in the theater watching it my mind was just blown. I I was just like, this is what 3d in theaters was meant for. And this is how it should be done. So part of that, I, I just love this movie. I, after it came out on Blu-ray, I mean, I just watched it over and over. I mean, it's a quick sit, so it's not like you're invested a lot of time or, uh, effort into watching it. And I would just watch it over. Yeah. Just watch it over and over. And it's kind of creeped in. It's probably in my top 10 action movies of all time. Like, honestly, it, 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 I love this movie. So, you know, we'll get into it, but uh, I definitely wanted to cover it. I was excited to talk about it for the podcast. Yeah, exactly. Well, um, and I'm glad you did. I'm glad you chose this because sitting back and watching this again earlier. Um, you know, I've seen this movie a handful of times. I'm not going to pretend like I've only seen it like once or twice. I've definitely watched this film my fair share of times. Um and one main reason for that is because, like you said, it's it's a real easy set. It's a breeze. It's it's uh, 
you know, a real quick in and out, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am kind of movie. And I love that kind of shit. I love a movie that I can just get in and get out real quick, get my fix, and uh, move on, as they say. So, um, you know, I'm just happy to talk about this. Um, let's just jump into it. First time viewings. Uh, it's, it's just that. You see, this is actually uh, my, my first time. No, no, my first, it's my first time uh, since my first time. So technically, that's my second time. And I don't, I don't, I don't want to suck at it. So if I'm not up to, so you and I together, we saw it in the theater. Um, I, don't, <laughs> I don't remember exactly when. I, th- I want to say we saw it kind of like, not that I was in the theater that long, but I don't know, more like a few weeks after it came out or so. I think. We saw this. I don't remember there being a big crowd. I remember you and I seeing this on like a random weeknight getting together, like, you know, like a Thursday, 7.30 show after it's been out for a little while. And, you know, there might have been like four or five others in the theater with us. But I, I, I don't yeah. think, yeah, that, that's how my memory, you know, gets me with this movie when I look back on it. So. Yeah, it, I can't remember. So I know obviously we saw it together because I saw this movie, I believe, three times in theaters total. Oh, shit. Okay. Yeah, I I love this movie. I love the experience of the 3D. Um, and, it, you know, at the time, this was 10 years ago, I was single with no wife, no kid. No, I, I had a lot more time on my hands. So, like, after work, I was like, oh, you know, that movie kicked ass. I'll go see it again in 3D. So yeah. I, I think I saw it like with you and then one time I saw it with a work friend and then one time I saw it by myself. Um, but all three times there was nobody in the theater. <laughs> like <laughs> there was mm-hmm. never anybody to see this movie. Nobody really cared. That was the other reason I wanted to go see it because it bombed terribly and I, I wanted to support the movie just because of how much I enjoyed it. Um, because like I said, this is one of those films. It was filmed in 3D it looked beautiful in 3D. It added to the experience. There's a handful of movies I would say that about. Like maybe like My Bloody Valentine 3D and Avatar and this. Or like the three that come to my mind that were actually benefited by seeing it in 3D and spending extra money to do it. Like there's very few. Pac-Rim. Uh, Pac-Rim was one, two, mm-hmm. and like some of the animated movies. But for the most part, you know, back then you got to think 10 years ago all the big movies were coming out in 3D back then. That was the 3D craze. It's not like today. Unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, they were pushing that, like, that was going to be the future, everything was going to be 3D, and Mm -hmm. you you would see some of the movies that were, like, converted after post-production, like, they weren't shot in 3D, weren't meant for it, and you're just like, why am I spending an extra $5 on this? Like, what is the point? But Dread was just one of those. I was like, you need to see it in 3D. Like, I was trying to get anybody I could to see this movie just because I wanted it to do well, and it didn't. <laughs> right. So, it's kind of sad. Yeah, and to piggyback off of that, um, it's so funny, you know, that, that how the whole 3D thing just came and went. And we all thought, at least I did, I thought it was going to stick around. And kind of actually it is, because it's while movies, around. they're not promoting films anymore as being in 3D, you don't hear like, see it in 3D, like none of that. There's not even any movies that have 3D in the title anymore. Like, you don't see that. But, yeah, uh, to my surprise, like, all the, the major Marvel films and all, there's still a theater, at all the multiplex is dedicated to a 3D showing. So, they're still making them in 3D. Um, but, you know, it's just there as an option. And I think it's going to kind of just be like that. Um, 
I, yeah. I think if it was going to be obsolete completely, it would have been by now. But the fact that they're still clinging on to like at least for the the big budget films, um, you know, they're not doing it for all of them like they used to. But the fact that they're still doing it tells me that you know it's it's at least going to be around as an option. But you know, two fa- two fads that kind of stick out in the last ten years that came and went. Three D being one of them, uh, and the other one is like curved televisions. <laughs> like I remember that oh, being yeah. a big trend that was around for like three or four years, if that. And like now, you know, that's not even an option to buy them like that anymore. So no, my uh, it's funny you mentioned that. My grandpa John um w- bought into that craze. He bought. Like the big um, mm-hmm. Samsung one, right? Something like eighty inches, like gigantic. Yeah, yeah. And it, it's, it's, it's a it's curve. That, that's, it had to be big, otherwise it'd be pointless to buy one. Yeah, it's like 80, 85 inches. It's huge, right. and it yeah, looks yeah. really cool. But I have no but. fucking idea what difference it's supposed to make. Like, I, I remember when he bought it, and he's like trying to impress me with it. He's like, "Got to sit right here," and it like wraps around you. And I'm like sitting there. I'm like. Nah, just looks like a fucking curved TV to me. Like it, it isn't immersing me in any way. <laughs> now, granted, you know it was like the middle of the day. We weren't watching like a movie. I'm sure it could look good if you're like in a certain room, into a certain movie or something like that. But yeah, I never got that fad. That was one. The 3D, I, I could at least understand. But the the curved TV, that shit never made sense to me. Your response should have been like, "That's nice." Now let me take you to an IMAX theater. Well, the funny part is, you know, my grandpa John passed away three years right. ago. Yeah. My yeah. grandma Irene still has a TV, but I'm pretty sure she just watches like local news, like it's yeah. standard def on it. It's not like it's, you know, an old fad. Like curved televisions just went out just a couple years ago. It's not like it's, you know, been around, you know, or it's been gone for a while. It, it, it just kind of went out of style quietly, kind of like 3D, you know? But yeah. the difference is it's not really an option anymore the way 3d still is so anyway now that we got our conversation of curved tvs and 3d technology out of the way let's uh move into story time tell me a story wait like my story no not your story a story since you can't keep your mouth shut long enough for me to read my paper tell me a story i don't think i know any stories you don't know any stories no all right i'll tell you a story this is a newspaper, right? It's 90% bullshit, but it's entertaining. That's why I read it, because it entertains me. You won't let me read it. So you entertain me with your bullshit. Tell me a story right now. Go. Let's talk about the sequel that never came to fruition. Um, funny enough, I have a timeline. Um, but before I get into it, like, this was a movie that just screamed sequel. And it was actually something that they had, you know, intended on doing. They intended on making this... You know, a saga, not a saga, a saga, um, <laughs> saga, a saga. Uh, for those of you who watched Fewer Cast, listened to Fewer Cast last week, you'll get that reference. But no, um, it's just unfortunate. This is one of them sad stories that just you know what could have been. Um, I think a lot of us, a lot of us, not really. I wouldn't call myself a diehard fan, but you know what I mean. A lot of the diehard fans out there, I know you're one of them. Whereas clamoring for the sequel that just never happened and there there was a couple of times in fact I'm about to name off some that it just came so close but then just nope and deep down as I sat there you know 
popping back my popcorn and enjoying the news over the years. There was a couple times where it got past me and I just thought, maybe, but ultimately, deep down, I never really saw this materializing just because I figured, I always felt that if it was going to happen, it would have happened, you know, afterwards, like right afterwards. It wouldn't have been like a, you know, Zoolander or Anchorman type ordeal where it just happened too little too late, you know? And I feel like that's how it would have, I feel like if you would have done it, I feel like if you would have given up, one more time, Ed, I feel like if they would have make a sequel today, like 10 years later, I feel like it would have been, it would have been, a, it, it would be a bad idea because I feel like even less people would have seen, would see it because, I don't know. I just, I just feel like it's, that's what happens when you wait too long and not that this was a big hit. There's a reason why this never materialized because it didn't make money, unfortunately. And we'll get into that later on too. But, um, you know, before yeah. I get down the timeline, do you, I'm sure you gotta, you know, want, want to add in your two cents. So, I mean, wanna... yeah, I was, I knew it wasn't going to happen. Like as soon as it hit theaters, I knew it probably wasn't going to happen. I was praying that it would catch on once it hit, you know, the uh, at the home market, the Blu-ray and DVD, and it did do well. I think it mm-hmm. was like one of the highest selling Blu-rays for a long time. Like it, it was, it did do well. But the mm-hmm. problem was at that point in 2012, the home media market physical had fallen off enough where you know, t- ten years previous to that and like the early 2000s. You could sell enough DVDs or Blu-rays to save a franchise. Nowadays, that's not really the case. It's just not a big enough market. And even back in 2012, there just wasn't a big enough market. It did well, but it, it, I just knew it wouldn't be enough to save it. And I was just sad because, like, Carl Urban, I mean, he's a huge fan. Like, he, you know, he loves the comics, and he was all in on the character, and he was ready to come back. He still and talks everybody about involved. it. Yeah, he still talks about it. I mean, everybody involved was ready for it. I was ready for it, but I just knew when it didn't do well and it just barely, I think it barely made its money. We'll get into it, but I knew it wasn't going to have a sequel. I, I knew it wasn't going to happen, no matter how much passion. It's all about the cold, hard cash, you know, unfortunately. Yeah. Um. So right before the film came out, this took place at not San Diego, but the London Film and Comic Con. Um, also in July 2012, Alex Garland, the producer slash director, we'll get into that in a minute, said that the North American gross, no, said ah, North American gross of over 50 million dollars for Dread would make sequels possible, and that he had plans for a trilogy. Second film would focus on the origins of Dread. And Mega City One, and the third would introduce Dread's nemesis, nemesis, the undead Judge Death and his Dark Judges. Um, the month later, he said that a Judge Dread television series would be a positive future step for the for the series. A month after that, he said that he would explore the origins and democracy storylines, and it would introduce characters Judge Cal and Chopper and would pursue the concept that Judge Dredd is a fascist. That same month, uh, McDonald, which, uh, okay, someone, I guess that's uh, one of the producers, I'm assuming, said that the further films would be made in partnership with IM Global and would likely be shot in South Africa. 
Um, and then nothing else was said for another six months, March 2013. Uh, the EP for the film said that sequel was unlikely. In May of that year, Urban said that a sequel was still possible. <laughs> Optimism. Noting that the film had found an audience and the response of fans would resurrect the project. And then a, a petition was launched a couple months after that. And then, you know, just rumblings here and there. Fast forward to October 2014, the EP... Um, announced the production of an unofficial spinoff series online based on the Dark Judges would be released later that month. Um, they were released on YouTube right uh, before Halloween. Then March 2015, Alex Garland said that a direct sequel would likely not happen in the near future, at least not with the crew. And Okay, so I'm going to stop myself. So basically, just like... The gist, it's been just rumblings. It's been hearsay. A lot of things coming from Carl Urban himself being optimistic, but just, in my opinion, shooting off his mouth a little bit too much. I get where he's coming from. He means well. But, in the other hand, you're also leading fans on to something that's just a blind hope, a false reality. Um, and it, it, to this, not to this day, because the last news I really have was five years ago and from Carl Urban himself he claims that he was in discussion to star in a TV series that was supposed to be on Amazon or or Netflix it just it was still being shopped around but a streaming uh, show so I mean realistically at this point at some point if you're gonna make another dread film you're gonna start over you're probably going to recast, make it someone else. Because Carl Urban is now in his 50s. Not that he needs to be young, because you never see it. The, you know, if, it's, if you're following the actual Judge Dread formula, you're never going to show his face. If you want to be like a Sylvester Stallone type, then sure. You know, mask it, uh, to take the mask off all you want. Piss off the fans, you're going to lose the more money, but, you know, teach their own. Yeah, I agree. I think we're not going to see a direct sequel. You know, obviously... It's a franchise. I mean, yeah. Dread is a comic book. I've never read any of them, but, you know, it's fairly niche, but you never know. They might come back with a web series or TV show or something of that sort, but I think it's going to be recast. I think you just start over. I mean, at this point, it's been 10 years. You have diehards like me, but how many people are like me really out there? Is it going to be enough to be a viable like blockbuster or series? Yeah. I seriously question that. I think you just go in a different direction more than likely. I mean, you never say never nowadays. No. But probably more than anything, they would just go their own direction and maybe have a nod to Carl Urban or have a nod to Dread uh, 2012. But I think the odds of anything happening for anybody who's still holding on to hope, which for me, that ship sailed years ago. Uh, you know, I would say very, very slim. You know what this situation reminds me of? And it just kind of randomly sprung into my mind too um but the situation with dread and it's never-ending talks and rumblings of a sequel reminds me exactly of the same exact situation with um the spawn movie with jamie fox that was apparently announced by you know um uh, McFarlane himself, uh, one of the Comic Cons, 
four or five years ago or so. It's been a while. It's been a minute. I'm not going to pull it up right now. I don't, I don't care enough. I'm just basing off of my memory. Um, and then, you know, nothing happened. And yeah, still, you ask Jimmy Fox to this day what's going on with that, and he'll give you like, oh, different, you know, they just turned in a fifth draft of the script last week, so, you know, we're going to see how how it looks. But it's it shaped up to be one hell of a movie, so check it out. You're all going to be real excited. Something like that, some bullshit, you know, cliche response. Um, I don't know. Yeah. It just, rem- it just, it just reminds why, me of that. I don't know why, uh, and I'm not singling him out, but I don't know why people that were or on projects or attached to projects that they know realistically it's not happening anytime soon, if ever. Right. I don't know why they give out false hope. It, it, to me, I would rather just know really what's happening. Ain't shit happen. <laughs> you know, like I would just rather them be honest about it instead I, of giving an answer like that. You know, I think a reason why, answer. well, I think a reason why has to do with relevancy. Because if you just say it's dead in the water, then pff, there goes that. Future people aren't going to comment on it or ask about it. You, it's it's going to be, you know, irrelevant, you know. At least knowing that that project still potentially, even if you know it's dead in the water, they don't know that. So, you know, you give them hope. Next interview, someone else is going to ask about it. And the question continues. And you can keep leading them yeah. on to whatever path you want as long as it keeps relevancy and as far as you know you're a part of that you're relevant in some aspect I, that that's just how i think that they you know i, I don't know that's my whatever i'm looking for that's how i think yes perspective thank you so all right well then uh before we talk about the film itself let's do our traditional live top five rob it's your turn Okay, I'm feeling kind of basic today. Top five side ones, track ones. Janie Jones, Clash, from The Clash. Mm. Let's get it on, Marvin Gaye from Let's Get It On. Nirvana, Smells Like Teen Spirit off of Nevermind. Oh no, Rob, that's not obvious enough, not at all. How about uh, Point of No Return on Point of No Return? Lewis, so you can uh, get up a- Shut up, shut up. <laughs> white Light, White Heat. Velvet Underground. Okay, that would be on my list. Though not on mine. Massive Attack, No Protection. The song is Radiation Ruling the Name. What's your top five call urban films? Simple. Uh, And funny, doing this, hmm, I thought Carl Urban was in a lot more movies than he is. So, uh, I have five, though. I have five I like. So, I have no honorable mentions, but I have a five. Or a top five at least. At least. A complete top five. So, number five for me is Ghost Ship. Little underrated gem from about 20 gonna, years ago. I knew it. I was like, you're going to put Ghost Ship on there. <laughs> I knew your ass was going to pick that one. It's a stupid fucking movie, but you know what? It's it's a fun, stupid movie. So, I, The only thing I remember about that movie was the opening scene with like the wire cutting people in half. That's the only yeah, part every, of that everyone, movie I remember. Everyone says that, and you know what? It's, it, that might be the case, but there's a lot of cool shit going on in that movie. Like Carl Urban's death is pretty fucking grisly. Um, and I always forget that Gabriel Byrne is in that movie. So, you know, it's it's kind of a bigger deal than people make it out to be, you know? Maybe yeah. it's not. Maybe it's not. Or maybe I hope. I think I, it's, I, 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 maybe I want it to be a bigger deal because I think it's you know, a little underrated. It's not the worst film know. out there. It's far from the worst. I mean, come on now. 
we haven't even talked about Darkness Falls yet. Come on, guys. <laughs> I don't know. I think Ghost Ship is like at the appropriate level of fun, like it, like nostalgia and fondness. I think we're at the appropriate level for fucking Ghost Ship. <laughs> maybe it's bad. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. Who knows? <laughs> uh. Anyway, uh, my number five is the first film that I saw him in that I actually thought he was good, and that is Star Trek 09. Um, you know, not a huge part. Like he's one of the main characters. Like he's Doctor Bones. Um, you know, yeah. one of the like the big five on the Enterprise. Mm-hmm. He is. Um, it's but it was the role. first film I saw. Yeah, prominent role, and it was the first film I saw him in where I'm like, huh, he can actually act because everything I had seen him in before that uh, made me question that aspect <laughs> of him being able to act or uh, being like a decent actor or not. Because uh, previously I had seen like Doom where, I mean, to be fair, everybody was terrible in that movie. He wasn't the only person that was horrible. <laughs> um, you know, he's fine in Lord of the Rings. Like, I don't remember him that much from that. I, I he was okay. Chronicles Ghost of Riddick? Ship, I, yeah, uh, Riddick, like Vako, like, eh, you know, not my favorite. But uh, Star Trek was the first time because he did like an homage to... I don't know the name of the actor who played the original Bones on the um, TV series, but he did like an homage to him, but he did his own thing. And I was like, well, Carm did a better job than I thought he was going to do as, uh, you know, Bones on um, in Star Trek. I was impressed. He was actually a bright spot in that film, in my Steph- opinion. DeForest Kelly played Bones in the original series. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm not a Star Trek fan by any stretch. I mean, I've seen... Uh, I think all the movies and I've seen a little bit of next generation, but I've really never seen like the original uh, series. I I watched next generation on reruns here and there, but that was about it. Um, So I'm more familiar with them, but uh, you know, Carlton, he stood out in the film, I think, and he did a pretty good job of not just copying, but not completely doing a different thing, you know, just kind of in between. And that was the first time I was like, Oh, this guy actually, does have some talent, so I'll give him credit on that. So that was the first time I stood up, took notice, so it had to be on there, number five, Star Trek. All right, number four for me is Riddick. It's a really short cameo role. Um, The character is actually much bigger in Chronicles of Riddick, but that movie is really fucking cheesy. Um, I think Riddick is a lot... It's a return to form for the series, Um I really hope, really hope. I'm really, I'm really glad that um, Vin got that off the ground. It's kind of an underrated film now that I look back on yeah. it. Um, it's coming up on its 10 year anniversary itself, but uh, actually, you know, I, 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 it's not, it's, it's not better than Pitch Black, but it's as good. And a lot of the acting in that film stood out. Uh, a lot of the characters surprised me. Um, even Vin Diesel shocked me of how good he was. Um, and it's it's because he is Riddick, you know? And he plays that character so fucking well. Um, you know, even even in Chronicles, looking at you, kid. But yeah, Riddick, just because, you know, it's a film that he's in, it's positioned for the fact that he's in it and not by, uh, not based off of his, you know, one-scene performance at all, so... Yeah, the Chronicles of Riddick, that's one, that's like a guilty pleasure of mine. <laughs> When's the last time it, you've I, seen it? Uh, probably when Riddick came out, 
I probably will rewatch Pitch Black and Chronicles of Riddick, so okay. it's probably been a while. Yeah, ten, nine years, something like that. Same for me. Same for me. Not Pitch Black, though. I've seen Pitch Black in the last year because I own the uh, Arrow 4K. So I, I definitely watched that when it first came out. That was about a year ago. I think that's... It's either been a year or two years. It's... I don't know. That Yeah, it's been two years because that one came out. That was one of the first films that Arrow put out when the pandemic hit. Because I remember there being a whole uproar about the slipcovers and they weren't able to manufacture them because of uh, COVID. That's... Hmm. I don't know. It was weird. <laughs> it was one of the yeah. the weird things that you know people were bitching about. So, anyway. Um. Uh, so my number four, I totally admit that this film is not good. Uh, but I remember watching it on premium cable a while back, and it's a guilty pleasure of mine as well. And that movie is Priest. Um. Oh so I had to put that. Um. <laughs> he played Carl Urban played Black Hat in Priest. So that's my number four. Uh. Uh-huh. And I have to give it to that um, Carl Urban in that film because he goes all out, like fucking over the top crazy. Like he is the bad guy with the black hat and the black jacket. And it's like the old school silent film where he's like twiddling his mustache and there's like a fucking train and he's about to kill the people on the train. Like he is all out. He is just like got a full smile on his face and it is just ridiculous. I mean, that whole film is fucking ridiculous. Like the, for anybody who doesn't know the plot is like Paul Bettany plays a priest and basically all the priests in that world are, uh, fighters that are there to beat vampires (laughs) and the vampires are supposed to be gone, but they're not. And Paul Bettany is the only priest that knows they aren't there. And he goes out to stop this train full of fucking vampires. And yes, it sounds ridiculous, and it is, but it is enjoyable to me. I like Paul Bettany, and I liked Carl Urban in that movie because he was just fucking hamming it up the whole time. And I respect <laughs> him for that. <laughs> All right. Uh, number three for me is Star Trek. I'm probably a bigger fan of this than you are, Corey, and that's okay. Not that I'm a big fan of the original series. I'm a big fan of this film in particular. Um... I wouldn't say it blew me away when I first saw it, but I was a bit taken back by how good it was. I remember seeing it for my first time on Blu-ray, one of the first Blu-rays I ever saw. Um, I watched it at Sean's house, actually, or his old Opolis, um, as we used to call it, his old place. And um, for some reason, I have vague memories of watching it by myself. So it was probably one of those things where he had it, and he was at work, and I was just hanging out and looking through his collection. I was like, hmm, I haven't seen this yet. Let me let me pop it in and see how it is. And, uh, yeah, really surprised at um, just how good it was. And uh, the I, I've seen the other two films that don't hold up at all and, and, and were never really good movies to begin with. But the, the, the first one in reference to, you know, the J.J. era is uh, definitely a damn good film. And that's this one, 2009's Star Trek. Yeah, agreed. So my number three, it isn't a big role for Carl uh, Orban, but it is by far his funniest, in my opinion. And that Scourge from Thor Ragnarok <laughs> is my number three. <laughs> Fucking love him in that film. Like he, to me, yeah. is like, it's a funny movie to begin with. Other than Jeff Goldblum, he is probably my favorite part of that movie. I just love when he's like at the fucking gateway and he's like, behold my stuff. And the fucking camera pans over. Yeah. I fucking love he it. Just, 
he just wanted to make a big deal out of it. Yeah. Yeah, it's just hilarious. Like, he has all this random shit, like, fucking machine guns. Like, he just looks ridiculous. <laughs> and then he has a fucking redemption arc. So you gotta love it at the end. He fucking is spineless the whole movie and just going with it. And then he turns at the end and helps save the day. So you gotta fucking respect him for that. But, yeah, he's hilarious. I loved uh, Scourge. Like, just a small character that could be a nothing uh, for some actors, but Carl Urban fucking sold it and knocked it out of the park. It was hilarious. So I, I really appreciated him in Thor Ragnarok. That's my number three. Yeah. Uh, same film, same role for me. Number two. Uh, for reasons you just said. Um, yeah. Everything you just said goes double for me. <laughs> Which is number two. So my number two is... The Boys. It's actually not a movie. Um, he plays Billy Butcher on The Boys. I had a feeling you are going to try and fit this in here some way, somehow. Hey, <laughs> it's like one of his biggest roles. Like, I said like, Carl Urban season. Films. Uh. <laughs> yeah, I picked... That's okay. Uh, I'm just fucking around. I picked The Boys. It's just a long movie. It's three seasons long movie. That's <laughs> yeah, all. Yeah. It's still going on. There's no end yet. <laughs> um... But yeah, he, he plays um, on The Boys, which I've talked about. If anybody listens to Fewer Cast, I gush about the show all the time. But basically, deranged superheroes. And he plays, Carl Urban plays Billy Butcher, uh, who basically is a guy who was like a special ops uh, British soldier. Uh, lost his wife due to a superhero, lost his family, and he's trying to make him pay. He's basically the guy who keeps the heroes in line. And he just plays it off so dark. Like, he is such a dark douchebag who only cares about getting his revenge in the show. And he has such, like, a mean-spirited sense of humor on the show. But it's entertaining. And, you know, he does have redeemable qualities. Like, he does have a heart deep down there somewhere. But he's mainly just a guy who doesn't give a fuck about anybody else and wants to get his revenge and do shit his way. So, uh, to me, like, when I think of Carl Urban... That's at the top. Like, the boys, he fucking is awesome. Like, he's the biggest name on the show, and, you know, he fucking owns it, in my opinion. So, yeah, I definitely had to put Billy Butcher from the boys on there, number two. All right. Gee, Corey, I wonder what our number one is. (laughs) Fucking uh, Doom. He was the best in Doom. I don't even remember his fucking character's name in Doom. Yeah, I, mean, I, I remember nothing about that movie. So, fuck it. Yeah, I, I, I'm i already going to call it. I know what it is. Dread, it's this. Number one collectively. Boom. For reasons that we're about to get into right about... Hmm. Yeah. to um just some basic brief background shit as always that we let the stuff into our episodes now uh in an interview for joe blow love me some joe blow carl urban revealed that dread was actually directed by alex garland this explains why pete travis the credited director didn't promote the film in that uh, in any way shape or form uh this would ob- obviously make garland uh, Dread, obviously, Garland's first film, uh, unofficially. On October 7th of 2011, 
The LA Times reported that P. Travis was prohibited from participating in the editing process following creative disagreements between producers and executives. Alex Garland took over the editing process. His contribution was considered significant enough for him to seek a co-director credit a situation considered unusual as Garland never had never directed a film before and had not been in charge of any filming. The disagreement concerned a disapproval over the footage that Travis was providing. Although Travis was removed from the editing process, he was monitoring the process of the film. And on October 10th, Travis and Garland released a joint statement uh, claiming that they had agreed on an unorthodox collaboration before production began that Travis was still involved in the film and that Garland was not seeking a co-director credit. I know that was a lot, but in a nutshell, Garland was pretty much given the keys to the kingdom after Travis was given the boot because I guess too many heads were in disapproval over Travis. I mean, we've seen this before a million times in films and shit. Um, People were just asked to, you know, step away or people who were either a producer or a writer in this case garland uh was the writer of the film um just kind of like hey why don't you step in there and uh you know kind of secretly direct this thing you know or make it make the uh, director feel like they're directing it but in reality you're directing it looking at you spielberg not gonna say anything (laughs) other other than that just gonna say that um but yeah and that's kind of what happened here so did you know about this and it makes sense to yeah i knew about it uh afterwards like i didn't know obviously. i forgot about it until i was doing my notes for the episode so yeah i i read about it you know like a, i think a couple years after when i was just you know just a fan of the movie just reading about it and it makes a whole lot of sense looking back at it because you know alex garland I mean, he made, I think, one of the best-made sci-fi movies in the past 20 years, and that's not Ex yet, Machina. But not yet. This, remember, this was before not all yet. that. Not but, yet, but I'm saying in hindsight. like the, I'm saying this was years right. later when I learned about this. Oh, okay. And when you're looking back in hindsight, you're like, okay, you have the guy who directed Ex Machina. I don't think Annihilation came out yet. No. But I'm like, Ex Machina, and then you have the guy who directed fucking Vantage Point. And I'm like, huh, one of these things is not like the other between these three movies, Ex Machina, Dread, Vantage Point. Two are very fucking high quality. One is not fucking high quality. So I'm just saying, I don't know the whole behind, you know, obviously we don't know exactly what happened. We we know what you just said, but I think Garland obviously should have got a co-directing fucking credit because to me, his fingerprints are all over it. Yeah. This film is better for it. I agree on all that. Um, it's funny. My next note here is that uh, the director or the director position was actually offered to Duncan Jones, a.k.a. Bowie's son, a.k.a. director of Moon. He uh, turned it down. Um, he didn't like the script that Garland produced. Well, no, he did. Not because he didn't like the script. He said it was great, but because he had a strong idea of what he wanted to do with a Dread movie that he felt could not bring himself to take it on and didn't want to do it his way. So, uh, funny enough, at 96 minutes, that's the credited screen time for this movie, it's the exact same runtime as Judge Dread from 95. 
And the I funny found, part is I that found fun- that I found that resemblance completely striking. And it's funny because I remember the first time I watched the 95 movie, it felt like uh, an extra half an hour was on that movie because I was so bored out of my mind. Yeah, that's it. Looking back, I haven't watched the film in a while, but looking back on it, like, that does feel like a long fucking movie when you think about all the things that happened it in is. it. It's it feels crazy. like a fucking, it feels like you're trudging through the fucking swamp watching that movie. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I'll say this, like if you want to watch it for just the it's so bad it's good, there is a there is some of that in that movie. But yeah, it it is not good. Like I rewatched it I think maybe 8 9 years ago. I I was it made it a double feature and yeah, it does not hold up. Other than uh I love Stallone's I am the law. Like I, I mean, he's got me there, but that's about I am the law. And then like his fucking his fucking like brother whoever it is in the movie is like law like they keep saying fucking law back and forth and uh, oh, I just love that part Judge Rico Armando Sante don't yeah, ask me why judge. I remember that or how I remember that but I do Judge um, fucking Rico yeah that, Rico. that movie and then uh, he was a Rob clone. Schneider he's a clone yeah, he, he was a clone and and, uh, and Rob, Rob Schneider. Sh- Rob Schneider, because that was around the time that um, Hollywood was putting Schneider as like the buddy in these actioners, because he was also in that Jean Claude yeah. Van Damme film. Um, Comedic relief. That's yeah, 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 definitely. Um, although he was not funny in these movies. No, his, oh no, um, he was terrible. His character in this film, in that, yeah, in this film, was just. Even as a kid watching, I was just like, no, just no to all of this, but. Um, the only thing I ever liked about that film is uh, the um, the 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 family, the deranged family in the desert sequence, oh, whatever yeah. they're called. With, yeah, Paul. Uh, with I remember the old guys. Herschel, like Herschel from The Walking Dead plays one of them, and the fucking robot dude and all like that. That was it. It's, that and that scenes like what a ten minute sequence and shit. If that, they're there long yeah. enough to kill Max von Sydow. And basically, that that's all they're there for is to to, to kill him and to. Start, I I I haven't seen the film in a while, to, but you know I forgot what happens after that. I just remember the robot kills Max von Sydow's character, and then in turn, Dread kills him by like cranking that thing on his forehead up or something, some bullshit. Yeah, it was that was. Uh like fairly decent schlock. Like if the whole movie was like that, it would be enjoyable, but no, then you get to the city and it's a fucking convoluted plot and Rob Schneider's making his little fucking cracks and it makes me want to beg James Ramar is making uncredited appearances. Yeah. It was, yeah, that that movie was not good. There's a few things that are entertaining, but yeah, that, if you're a fan of Dread, just fucking skip that. Just watch this and read the comics. You'll be all right. Do you know what the body count was for this? For Dread? Hmm. Yeah, this one. Not 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 Judge. The one without the Judge. I'm going to say uh, 60 to 70. Somewhere in that range. Higher. Oh, okay. We talking uh, over 100 or below? 102. 102. Okay, that was higher than I thought. So, all right, let's get into it. A uh, little information to know for the story's sake. Um, 
in 2080, the United States is a dystopic, dystopic, post-nuclear war wasteland known as the Cursed Earth. On the East Coast lies Mega City One, a violent metropolis with 800 million residents and 17,000 serious crimes reported daily. That's a lot. The only force for order are the judges who act as judge, jury, and executioner. America is an irradiated wasteland. Within it lies a city. Outside the boundary walls, a desert. A cursed earth. Inside the walls, the cursed city. Stretching from Boston to Washington, D.C. An unbroken, concrete landscape. 800 million people living in the ruin of the old world. And the megastructures of the new one. Mega blocks. Mega highways. Mega City One. Convulsing. Choking. Breaking under its own weight. Citizens in fear of the street. The gun. The gang. Only one thing fighting for order in the chaos. The men and women of the Hall of Justice. Juries, executioners, judges. So we kick off the film with uh, Urban's dread voiceover as he's getting ready to hit the street, continuing to tell us about the Hall of Justice, get the title card pop up, and then we're followed by... um, Dread answering a call about three suspects under the influence. Uh, and then he goes after them. Um, and now he's got this motorcycle he's riding around and called the Lawmaster. Now, in, in, in actuality, these are functional bikes ridden by actors and stunt performers. The original bike was customized by having the chassis, the, the chassis extended and custom fairings added, as well as being fitted with the uh, largest tires that would allow the motorcycle to remain operable. The look of the Lawmaster from the comics could not be replicated exactly as that would make the bike undrivable. The large front yeah. fairing contained non-functional prop guns and a working screen for the navigation and communication system. All the lights on the bike were operational. Um, yeah, see, in the see. original, in the 95 version, they couldn't turn the bikes. Like, I remember that was, like, it could only go straight because they made it look like the comic book too much. Right. <laughs> that was the problem in the 95 That's version. right. That's right. Um, and then, and you know what? It's funny because the bikes might be the only thing that that version has up over this one. Because I'm not a big fan of the design for this bike on this one. I don't know. The Lawmaster design for this film just kind of reminds me of a, just a, a typical bike, to be honest with you. So, Yeah. I, I'm not the biggest fan either, but it looks okay. Like I would rather him take some liberties... And have a good movie 
as opposed to make it look just like the comic, but it looks fucking ridiculous because he can't move or turn on the fucking thing. Like, I would rather see a guy actually on a motorcycle going down the street other than, like, just some CG bullshit or some just sitting on a prop bullshit. Like, I would rather mm-hmm. just see a real motorcycle, you know? I mean, it's it's fine, I guess, but, you know. Uh, we see the effects of this drug slow-mo happen. So, I gotta pause the film to talk about this shit in 3D, man. This, this, this is when I knew, seeing this a little bit over 10 years ago, or under 10 years ago, that this technology was legit. Like, this looked pristine in 3D. Let me tell you something. Like, I don't gloat about that shit a lot, but the majority of the gloating I've ever done as far as 3D is concerned, ties into this film and this sequence right here. Because it was the first time we see it. You know, we see it happen a bunch of times throughout the movie, but this was the first. And it's like that old saying, you never forget your first. Um, it's just a crazy little fucking shit, you know, like it's designed for 3D. It looks a little tacky now seeing it without the 3D technology incorporated. But, you know, just kind of like, you know, the scene we're talking about, hopefully, you just got to just put yourself in, you know, if you didn't see it in 3D back then, then it, it, can, you can just imagine what it looked like. And it, it just, it was, it was a ride, man. It really was. Um, See, so we get this highway chase that ensues with Dredd going after these guys on his bike. The authorities lose visual, but Dredd stays on them. And then we see this innocent bystander that's violently killed. Just fucking head smacks <laughs> under the fucking thing and just break, just smashes it. It kind of reminds me of like Toxic, toxic uh, Avenger and the, uh, the boy in the opening a little bit. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, like right there, that sets the standard for what kind of violence you're going to uh, get in this film. Exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, the, the Dredd just tells Control that he's taking them down, so he continues on his track instead of stopping the help, and he uh, does so, takes them down by shooting out their tires, and then approaches their vehicle. Two of them are dead, pretty mangled up, but there's a third who gets away on foot, and he gets into one of the city blocks, pretty much killing everyone in his path, and... You know, I'm not going to lie, and I hate to bring politics into this, but watching this scene this morning just reminded me of this shit going on in the country right now of all these fucking mass shootings and kind of, not going to lie, it was kind of uncomfortable to watch. It's not going to take away from my final opinion of the movie whatsoever. It's just a kind of a, a current situation going down that like I could not avoid thinking about, you know, because it kind of hit close to home. Yeah. Absolutely. And one thing on the lighter side, I just want to say like dread is looking in the van and then all of a sudden he pops up the guy you hear shooting and the guy's running. And then look, just like the look on dreads face is like, Oh damn. Cause the yeah, guy's like yeah. running away. Like he just <laughs> got away from him. It's like, whoops. Like that's just kind of the look on Carl Orban's uh, mouth. Cause that's all you can see. Cause he wears the helmet, the whole fucking movie, uh, like in the comic. So you only see his mouth and just the way his mouth looks, he's like, Oh, <laughs> like the guy's running away, shooting people. Uh, and he's just like, whoops. Like, it's just kind of funny right there. I, 
not to make light of like fucking shooting. No, no, like, you're no, talking no, about no, 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 Exactly. I know you're exactly right. And, um, you know what? Going back, I totally forgot to mention, like, what slow mo is. Like, oh, yeah. It's like it's, an inhaler, uh, type thing. Like, it, it, it's like a white inhaler, and then it has, like, clear liquid, and then, like, this brown tar shit. Right. But what much. it does is it, it reduces the user's perception of time to 1% of normal Holy time. Shit. It's, it's nuts, you know? And that's how it's, you know, displayed on screen. Although I think it's a little bit yeah. faster than 1% because that would be just ridiculous to show. But still, I get the concept, you know. Um, yeah, and uh, it's an awesome concept. Like, you know. It's just different. So it's, smart. it's unique. Yeah. yeah, it's unique. It definitely is that. Because to, it actually you know, gives you it gives you a fucking reason to have all this slow-mo. Like all these other movies, I'm like, why is it slowing down all of a sudden? At least this movie has a reason. <laughs> you know? Right, yeah. So also I noticed one thing on the um, in the the scene here when the guy gets out and he's like running inside the city block um there's a specific like um there's a you see this like um drock okay I'm just going to get down to it you see drock um across the back of a jacket in this scene here what that is is in the original comic strip, profanity was uh, just substituted with invented words, notably the often shouted explosive, explode, yeah, explosive, ex- bad word, drock, <laughs> and that's what the kind of little, you know, little tie into the the the. I thought that was pretty cute, so. Um, the perpetrator has a hostage. Dread casually says, "Let's talk." He offers the guy a sentence that keeps him alive, but behind bars. Eventually, um, you know, all this stuff that he does that it just racks up to a death sentence. Um, of course, the guy refuses. So, Dread right there on the spot, calls off the negotiation and refers to the perp as Hotshot, which activates what, Corey? Ah, activates the uh, Peacemaker. It switches over and it goes to the uh, Hotshot uh, round where it fucking melts his head off. Oh yeah, basically it turns his, uh, <laughs> it basically melts his head from the inside out. Yeah, um, and, and I just want to say, like, right here, you learn so much in this short little scene of the hostage because you learn, you know, Dread, <clears throat> he isn't fucking around. Like, you mm. learn he's not negotiating. Like, this fucking guy's either going to jail or dying right now, regardless of who he has. Like, Dread ain't, you know, he's not here to negotiate. He says it later. This isn't a negotiation. Like, <laughs> he's like, you're coming with me or you're dying. So you learn right there, like, how Dread operates, and you don't fuck with them. Also, you learn, (laughs) you know, obviously, like, they're called judges, where basically they're judge, jury, executioner. Like, they call it on the spot. Like, there is no, I'll haul you in and let the judge figure out what to do with you. No, he is the fucking police. He's the judge. He's the executioner. He's everything. So you learn that right there. And then you get to see the fucking badass Peacemaker. Like, one of my favorite, like, weapons in a film. Like, it's just so awesome. Like, the fact that he has the DNA match that you see that earlier, and then you see how he can change the rounds. Just so fucking awesome. I I, I just love every second of uh, this scene. 
yeah. Um, and then what we got here? Yeah, Dread gets called back to the Hall of Justices to see Chief Judge, and we're introduced to Olivia Thorolby's Cassandra Anderson, Judge Anderson from the comics. Anderson's a powerful psychic who barely failed the aptitude test to become a judge, but they want to make an exception given her, you know, psychic power. So the chief wants Dread to take her out on the deep end and see if she'll sink or swim, essentially. Cassandra Anderson, 21. Born in a block 100 meters from the radiation boundary wall. At age seven, she lost both parents to residual fallout cancer. As is usual with orphans, she was given a judge aptitude test at age nine. It classified her as unsuitable, but she was entered into the academy on special instruction. In the academy, her record was never better than borderline. Her final academy score put her three percentile points below a pass. So what's she doing in a uniform? Rookie Anderson. Sir. How many people are observing you? Two. What can you tell me about the person I'm with? Male. Another judge. I can feel anger and control, but there's something else, something behind the control, something almost. Okay, Anderson. She's a mutant. The judge's counsel have chosen to overlook her status. So you will too. She's the most powerful psychic we've ever come across by a huge margin. The judges are losing the war for this city. We believe she could be a major asset. As I said, her final score was only three points below a pass. It's marginal. It's not marginal. She failed. The girl's getting one more chance. I want you to take her out. Give her one day in the field, supervised. See if she makes the grade. Sink or swim. Chuck her in the deep end. It's all a deep end. He ain't happy about it, but follows orders. Um, and that's, you know, that's that's one thing also, that's something else that the Stallone film, not to keep making comparisons to that shit, but, you know, at least it got the whole um, loyalty aspect of Judge Dredd down. That's how it is here. Like, that's one thing about Judge Dredd is, like, he is very by the book, you know, and he's definitely a dependent, you know, you know, basic someone you can depend on. And we see that here. He's following orders. They know that they can depend on him. So they give the newbie to him to just take out because they can just, they know that they can rely on dread to just whip him into shape or toss him to the side if needed. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah, and I mean, Dredd has a reputation. Like, he's one of the best judges. Like, he's known by the other judges in this mega city. You know, everybody knows who he is. And I love, it's like a neo-noir type thing. Like, he is the fucking shining white knight in this city full of shit, essentially. And I, I dig that aspect, like you said earlier, with the voiceover at the beginning and the end and everything. It is like a very noir feel in that respect. How he's like the white, only good shining knight in this 
fucking mega city, you know? Oh, absolutely. Um, so Dredd is definitely harsh on Anderson's assessment day. She, he's calling her a rookie and acting, you know, pretty harsh and cold towards her. In fact, he only refers to Anderson by her name three times in this entire film. Everything else is just rookie. Especially right here with like the opening scene with them two together. It's like a lot of rookies. <laughs> so yeah, and I think I think he's so by the book it pisses him off the fact that she failed, but she has another shot. Because in Dred's you know, yeah. Dred's mind, you failed, That's you're it. done. You fa- exactly. You know? No one deserve no one's no one is above the law. Especially you. It doesn't matter what you're capable of. You know, I don't care if you can freeze time. You know, you better pass the fucking test. Right. So, you know, I get it. I understand. He's a by-the-book guy. So, uh, we next see Mama, played by the outstanding Lena Hetty. So, she's taking a bath. She's on, she's on slow-mo. Atop yeah, Peachtree's Peach yeah, Tower is, Block. Yeah, Peachtree's Tower Block, which is, uh, you know, basically the fucking mega skyscraper inside the mega city where, how many people is it? Like uh, 75,000 or something like that live in one building? Is it that or is, am I misremembering the number? <sighs> I honestly don't, I'm not going to pretend like I remember because I don't. Yeah, I I think it's 75,000. It could be like something like 270, it, you know, whatever it is, tens of thousands of right. people in one building, right. which is a slum. And, you know, this scene right here where she's in the bathtub, you know, like you mentioned in the car, this to me is just another beautiful scene where you're just flashing me back to 10 years ago. I'm sitting in that theater and I'm just like, whoa, like, what am I watching? Like, when they hit the slow-mo you know, like the color saturation, like everything changes. It almost goes to like, I would say animated look almost like all the colors and the way the sheen on the water looks and everything's obviously moving slow. It, it almost looks cell shaded and animated when it happens. And it is fucking beautiful. Like just the way they do the water and like the oh, particle and smoke effects. The sparkles. Yeah. Like the, I would it's hold this fucking action beautiful. Film. Yeah, I would hold this film up against just about any other 3D film and any other action film as far as just the way it looks. Like, it's just fucking beautiful. And that's just one thing that I love about this movie. One of many, but beautiful. Blew me, like, literally had my mouth hanging open. Like, I didn't know it was possible to make it look this good. Now, you mentioned it before. It doesn't look as good when you're watching it on the standard TV. Nowadays. Yeah, and I was about I was just about to get into that. I was about to my exact words were gonna be something along the lines of now this it's a little bit dated now given the fact that A, we're not watching, you know, the three D technology um aspect of it and just the technology in general is a little bit dated because, you know, this was ten years ago, for better or worse. And you know. Yeah. And I'll say this, the film looks good for its budget. I mean, if you told me this film, what was it, $40 million budget? Something like that? It's between, I have I have it written down at uh, between 30 and $45 million. I couldn't get an exact uh, number, but that's the range that I got. Which, you know, that's a decent budget. I'm not saying this is like a low-budget movie. That is a big budget. But when you hold this film up to... Uh, 
movies that cost a hundred million. I mean, it looks good. Like they, the money they had, it looks good on screen. I think they spent it well. There's definitely parts that stand out that don't look as good. Like you kind of mentioned the motorcycle. Yeah. Not the greatest, the car stuff, you know, some of the, uh, effects, it doesn't all look great, but these slow-mo scenes, man, they, they, especially back in the theater, they fucking blew me away. And even today on the screen, it still looks good. It does. Still visually right. interesting. Uh-huh. I agree. Absolutely. I mean, even just because of the fact that I'm saying it looks a little bit, little bit dated doesn't take away from the fact that it's still a gorgeous-looking scene. That's all. Um, yeah. So, Avon Barksdale. <laughs> a little wire reference, you guys. Wood Harris, who plays Kay here, informs her about a few rogue dealers going on. Next, we see them, there's three of them, beaten, skinned, and then they're each hit with slow-mo and tossed off the top of the block down 200-plus feet <laughs> to their fucking gruesome 200, I meant 2,000 feet to their gruesome fucking deaths. Let me tell you something, it's, it's, yeah. They fucking explode. Like, yeah. when they hit the ground, you the just see them explode. Liquefied, my man, liquefied. Uh, I want to call detail to some of Mama's tattoos, because some of them are real, actually. They're actually Lena Hetty's tattoos, just uh, extended. Like, the flower on her upper right arm, that's real, but the makeup department um, expanded it to her neck and to her face. Um. Yeah. And I think they did a pretty good job with their transformation. They ugly oh, her yeah. up, <laughs> so to speak. Yeah. Um, her teeth, like the scars, obviously, the teeth. Like, I'm a big fan of her in this film. Uh, you know, she's very soft-spoken, which I appreciate. Like, she's crazy and obviously fucking violent. Like, she orders these guys to get skinned and thrown over. But she's always soft-spoken. And she's got to hide that accent. Yeah, somewhat calm. Like, I appreciate that. Uh, I, I like this character of, like, the whole, you know, she used to be a woman of the night and had issues, and now she's taken over because she's fucking ruthless and brutal. Because originally the character was supposed to be, like, a fat older woman. Like, originally that was the character the way yeah. it was written. Uh-huh. Mama, a fat older woman. And then Lena Hetty, uh you know, basically petitioned to have her and take the character a different way. And I think it fucking works. Like I love her as a villain, you know, not like the greatest villain, but I, I think it works really well, uh, you know, for this movie in this setting. I think she works very well. Ah, I agree. hundred percent. So dread tells Anderson because crime's so high that they only have the manpower to put away essentially 6% of the calls that are made. So he gives Anderson free reign to choose from, you know, what they should, you know, what the next call is going to be. So she chooses the triple homicide call at Peachtree's. So when they get there, we see this homeless guy sitting at the front. Um, <laughs> and, you know, yeah. fucking Dredd has a confrontation with them and threatens to, tells them to move on before they get back. Uh, when we get back, you better be out of here. So, in the scene just before this, Judge Dredd and Anderson, all the crimes in Mega City 1 are shown on the computer screens at the uh, Hall of Justice. One of the first screens shows a crime being assigned to Judge Hershey. Does that sound familiar? Uh, is that the one from the other movie? 
Yeah, that's that's, that's Diane, Diane Lane. that's Diane Lane from the uh, Judge Dredd nineteen ninety five edition. Um, yeah, I had that little 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 nod, you know, little callback as they call it. So yeah, Dredd and Anderson get to the you know inside and they meet with the medic to ID the victims. <laughs> And I, I just want to say, I love, they have, like, the whole thing roped off. I love they have, like, a fucking luggage cart for the bodies. <laughs> fucking love it. Like, I don't know if you noticed that. Louis looks like an airport luggage cart, but they're loading bodies I've never it. noticed that. Kind of like, bring out your <laughs> dead from Holy Grail. Bring out yeah, your and dead. They have, and they have, like, a fucking, like, uh, floor sweeper afterwards, like, cleaning up the blood. Like, I just love how, like, everything's desensitized. Like, these fucking guys are skinned and thrown off, and they have, like, the little fucking meat wagon luggage cart come out and the street sweeper to clean up I'm, the blood. I'm surprised they didn't have, like, an aquarium tank or something for them to fucking, you know, just be rinsed into or whatever. Because they just be liquefied. Yeah. It's all blood. Um. So, yeah, the Peachtree Gang... Oh no, the the, the peach tea block. Sorry about that. Um, no, I'm sorry. When dread, okay, dread here notices that they were all hit with slow mo before they they were thrown off the top because they have abrasions underneath their upper lips. The medic tells them that no one wants to fuck with the Mama Clan, and that we're introduced to them via computer files and some exposition dialogue. Her and her gang took over the entire building, taking out all the previous gangs who were formerly held up there. There was like three other gangs that were, you know, popularized from, you know, bottom to top. And she just, one by one, took over every single one. And you see this little chart that just displays and (laughs) showcases like her just taking over the whole joint. We have her on record from her warring days. The picture's pretty old. But that's her. Madeline Madrigal, a.k.a. Mama. Ex-hooker from the S9 Pleasure District. Quit working when she got sliced up by a pimp. She got her own back. Black legend says she feminized the guy with her teeth. Took over his business interests and never looked back. Anyone else, you'd say it was bullshit, right? Not with Mama. My trademark is violence. <laughs> Not so long ago, there were three main gangs hustling for control of peace trees. The Bailey Kings, the Red Dragons, the Judged. Then Mama arrived. judge up in peace trees well you got one now yeah, they took out the splatterpunks <laughs> yeah splatterpunks so the the block is named after a restaurant in shrewsbury the place where garland and judge dread creator john wagner first met to discuss the film so i'd imagine uh, the peach tree restaurant was where they met up and that was the reason this is called Peachtree. A little bit different. The um, 
In fact, with the exception of peach trees, the city blocks in this film are named after notable 2080 creators and characters. 82,000 or 2080 being the comic. So we see a couple young punks, or, uh, some young guys rather, go into Kay's apartment for some slow-mo. Dredd and Anderson force themselves in. And so these guys, real quick, back up. So these guys come in, it's just two guys. And they go in and they pay. And rather than just them going in and buying drugs and leaving, like, I guess they just kind of just hang out there. Is that what yeah, people like do? Yeah, it's like a crack den, I guess. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. It's like, you ain't leaving. You're, gonna exp- you're just going to hit this shit here, you know, and just. I mean, to be fair, keep it safe. Uh, you know. K K's um, market. I mean, it's slow mo, so they're probably sitting there for like a minute. But they probably think it's been a fucking like two hours. So he probably gets them in and <laughs> out pretty quick. The guy True. K, like he's pro, he probably has a fucking turnkey operation. Like they just keep coming in and out because they think they've been there so long. But you know, it makes sense because like they're young guys. They probably don't have their own apartment. So what are they gonna do? Take it home and do drugs in front of their parents? No, they're gonna stay at the fucking slow mo den. Right. Uh shit. Um where am I at here? Well then uh I like uh but right before Dredd and Anderson uh burst in, you know, Dredd asks her, like, uh, you know, where's your helmet? You forgot your helmet. And she's like, Oh, I don't wear the helmet because of my psychic abilities, it might interfere. And Dredd's like, Well, a bullet might interfere more. I just fucking love that little lie, like the dark <laughs> yes. humor right there. <laughs> fucking bullet might interrupt it more, which it's kind of funny. And then he also asked her, like, are you ready? You don't look ready. <laughs> like, I just love that little line. Like, he's just fucking brutally honest. He's like, you're a rook, and you have no fucking idea what we're about to walk into, pretty much. Like I said earlier, like, he just doesn't take any shit, man. He's just brutal with her. So Dredd and Anderson force themselves in, and we get this stellar shootout in slow motion, dude. Like... Yeah, sometimes we cut the to to a normal speed, but for the most part, it's all in slow mo. It's pretty badass. It's like it's kind of like Matrix Bullet Time, um, times ten. <laughs> One of the guys who came in just to enjoy himself is shot through the fucking cheek. Yeah, it's just it's all beautiful. That. And um, Anderson then calls for the meat wagon before they cough everyone, and Anderson notices. Kay and senses the murders from his memory using her psychic abilities and she's not a hundred. So, unfortunately because of that, they have to apprehend him instead of killing him. Because what'd she say? She's 90% sure? Nine, uh, something like 99, but you know, Dredd okay. says you can't, you gotta be a hundred. Gotta be a hundred, exactly. So, Ma finds out about this through her blind, unnamed resident computer hacker Played by Domhnall Gleeson, uh, Brendan Gleeson's yeah. son. And, yeah, he has no name. He's just the unnamed resident hacker who's just... I call him Robot Eyes. ...slaved to hack for Ma, Mama. So, not trusting that he won't talk, she gets the hacker to notify the phase of the blast wall testing going on before dropping the uh, walls down all around the place. This occurs... As Dredd and um, Anderson are leaving with Kay and um, t- the fucking homeless man. He's like, I told you, get up. You're going with us. And then fucking wall comes down and just <laughs> smashes him. 
I feel like, yeah, they... I don't know. The safety measures in this fucking building are kind of questionable. Like, if this big thing's lower down, you think you'd get at least a warning buzz or something. Or like a motion sensor. Like, it, would, it should be able to, like, know that he's there, you know? Yeah, like, I, I'm like, I know they don't give a shit about human life in Mega City 1, but I feel like they would at least build that. Like, at least some kind of trip sensor. I don't know. So, Ma gets to the PA and announces that she wants the judges dead and that the walls will stay closed until she gets what she wants. Open season has officially begun at Peachtree Towers. Um, or at the Peachtree Tower. So the graffiti throughout Peachtrees contains the, uh, the names of characters that appear in the Judge Dredd strip, such as we see Chopper and we see Kenny Who. Um, I I thought like that little touch throughout the little Easter eggs, as the cool kids call it, sprinkled throughout. Um, Dredd and Anderson continue continue to shoot their way through the building to the top floor. They take out an entire room of gang members after blinding them, and then not long after this, they realize that they're low on ammo and are nearly brought down, but. Anderson uses her powers to get them into the residency. Yeah, the, and uh, before we move on, I just yeah. want to say, like, they're fucking annihilating these people. Like, to this point, like, <laughs> yeah. it's not even like, oh, shit, we got to get out of here and shoot the... Like, they are just fucking mowing them down. Like, I think uh, the hacker character, Dom Hall Gleason, uh, gives a count. He's like, well, they've already murdered 10 on this floor, 16 on this floor, 12 <laughs> on this floor, and they haven't taken a scratch because, like fucking dread is just mowing them down like anderson's a little hesitant because uh you know like she sees like this one guy and he he's got his hands up like he's given up like you know he's like just looks like a normal guy and he's like i'm giving up and dread's like no fuck that like that guy's gotta die he tried to kill us and then fucking anderson uh you know reluctantly shoots him but yeah dread ain't fucking around he's just mowing through these guys like fucking jason Voorhees. Uh, on the 13th like that's essentially what's happening up until this point yeah um a second where am I at here and you just go into the um she uses her psychic to um say the lady's name in the apartment like in the apartment yeah the woman in there tells them about the service elevator so that they're not all so that they they can get off of her level, since that she's got a newborn in the next room and a baby daddy who's out there after him. Although yeah, we know that he's dead, dead already after seeing he who he is in that photograph. So in the uh, okay, so there's a I don't, I don't know if it's this scene or if it's coming up or already happened, but there's a classroom, and inside the classroom. Um, as well as in the mall, there's a new American flag that we see and it's only six stars instead of 50, six representing the mega states that are in this mega state, baby. That's right. <laughs> You're like, maybe st- mega state, baby. Woof, woof, woof. So <laughs> fucking dog loves mega states. What can right. I say? <laughs> I love He's it. He's like Texas Marco. <laughs> <laughs> So they take the elevator to the 76th floor where Mama has them trapped 
And she uses this Gatling gun, this rotary cannon motherfucker, to kill him. death she doesn't really kill him but she tries to kill him rather by breaching an outer wall to the uh, half pipe area where all the skaters are and they they go and they call for backup so we need to back up real quick and talk about this massacre of a sequence like it's fucking balls to the wall insanity with a topping oh, of fucking whipped cream and a cherry dude it's fucking gnarly it's insane because they get locked in like, you know, the hacker guy says, I can control anything. He starts locking the gates. Yep. So they're trapped in this section. He corners and them then straight I, up. Yeah, they're cornered. And then they they have three of these fucking chain guns like just set up across the fucking building. And I mean, like the walls are fucking disintegrated. It literally looks like someone like just fucking put explosives or acid all over the walls because they're so blown away by all the fucking chain gun. Uh, it's just, like, crazy. Like, the fucking bullets just flying. You feel bad for, like, the residents. Like, you just see residents getting mowed down in their fucking apartments. Like, a guy's behind a table and he just gets mowed down because that ain't gonna fucking stop the bullets. Yeah, it's like we see innocent bystanders like gang members, you know, everyone but the two main characters because they get through the fucking wall out to the goddamn skate ramp. I would be fucking scared, like, if I went up on that fucking vert, I would just keep flying off the fucking ledge or something, like, you get too much air time and lose your balance, like, or some shit, and then (laughs) you don't land on the fucking ground behind the vert, you land fucking a thousand feet down (laughs) or however far it is. I'd be scared. That's a little fucking ledge. So there's several references to fatties that are apparently in the comic book. A group <laughs> yeah. of extremely obese people, many so obese that they require a wheel under their stomach to move. And the first shooting victim in the escaping car escape um, sequence is a fatty line next to uh, his stomach wheel. There's also graffiti. I, I mention it now because there's graffiti in the uh, escape ramp here 
that says fatties rule. And in case anyone sees that and they're like, what the hell does that even mean? Fatties are people from the comic and that's what they are. They're just obese people with these wheels in their stomachs. And uh, there's, there's also a, a cut to an extremely obese man during lockdown wearing a shirt with fatties on the front. <laughs> I'm glad that they don't play a bigger part in this film because that's one <laughs> of those things where I could see in, I don't remember if they're in the 95 film. They're not. But it would not fucking no, they're, surprise they're me. They're not at all. No. <laughs> uh, it's one of those things where it might sound good in a comic book, but I mean, am I supposed to be intimidated by fucking fatties? Like, I mean, I'm now I'm just thinking about Tropic Thunder and fatties fart too. Like, uh, it's just not fucking intimidating. <laughs> now I'm just thinking of Jack Black fucking yeah, shit yeah, right. himself. Oh God. Um, yeah. So Ma, her number two, her companion, Caleb and his men, <laughs> They go search through the casualties to find the judges when all of a sudden from out of the fucking dust comes Caleb being thrown over the balcony. <laughs> I love that right shit. in front of like, her. He just fucking tosses them and then just walks back into the fucking clouds. Like just my hands are clean of this shit. Like, see ya. Yeah. And that's where uh, you see mama like. Uh, you know, she doesn't have a huge reaction, but Lena Headey, she does a good job. Like, you can see on her face, like, oh, fuck, I'm fucking with the wrong guy. Because fucking Dredd just walks her heavy out, like, and you hear the guy, he's like, no, no, like, he, like he's going out like a fucking bitch compared to Dredd. Like, Dredd's like, yep, you're fucking dead, get over the edge. Like, I gotta send a message here. Like, it's not even a fucking fair fight, like, <laughs> at all. Like, even her number one guy, it's not even close. Dredd's just... Fucking him up. <laughs> yeah, yes. Um, picture in my- Yeah, so Dredd suspects that Mama is desperate to keep Kay quiet. So he beats him for information. Anderson instead reads Kay's mind and learns that Peach Trees is the center of slow mo production and distribution. What are you up to, bitch? Welcome to the inside of your head. It's kind of empty in here. I don't know what kind of mutant shit this is, but if my hands weren't cuffed... You aren't cuffed, if you don't want to be. (sighs) My head. Do what I like. Sure. Thinking about hurting me doesn't actually hurt me. Yeah. Points to you. Except there is that thing. What thing is that? That I know how to freak you the fuck out. See, if you're talking about my fucked up head versus your fucked up head, your fucked up head is gonna lose. Figure that would shut you up. And I can play mind games too. Ah, you fucking bitch, you sick fucking bitch! We haven't even started.
Peace Trees is the manufacturing base for all the slow-mo in Mega City One. Mom is controlling the production and distribution across the whole city. Interesting. We also see that Kay's pissed his pants, and <laughs> Anderson suggests that they hide while waiting assistance, but Dred's like, nah, we gotta go up and fucking kill her anyway. So, we see these two judges, Volt and Guthrie, respond to uh, Dred's call, but Mama's computer expert denies them entry by persuading them that the security system is malfunctioning. So, a pair of... <laughs> this is like a random fucking scene. A pair of armed kids confront Dredd and Anderson, and Dredd's just like, are you sure you want to do this? Like, I, when I first saw this movie, I thought he was just going to fucking blow their heads off or some shit. Like, straight <laughs> up. Um, yeah, and this allows Kay to disarm him and overpower Anderson. So Kay escapes with her as the hostage, and, of course takes her up to mama at the top floor pat uh dread patches through the pa and warns everyone not to get in his way and that he is the law and mama is the common criminal under the sentence of death yeah and anyone who interferes will carry a similar sentence inhabitants of pinch trees this is judge dread let him talk in case some people have forgotten this block operates under the same rules as the rest of the city. Mama is not the law. I am the law. Mama is a common criminal. Guilty of murder. Guilty of the manufacture and distribution of the narcotic known as slow-mo. And as of now, under sentence of death, any who obstruct me in carrying out my duty will be treated as an accessory to our crimes. You have been warned. And as for you, Mama, judgment time. As for Mama, judgment time. I love the way he yeah. delivers that, too. I love this whole little dialogue right here when he's on the yeah. announcement. Like, he's on there, and he's done fucking around. He's like, I'm in fucking charge. I'm the fucking law. Mama ain't shit. And I'm coming for your ass judgment time. Like, the way Carl Urban delivers this whole thing, because he's got this fucking gravelly Batman-type voice, like, the whole time. But then he slips it at the end, judgment time. Because you can tell, like, he's going to fucking enjoy it later when he gets to that top floor and throws her ass off. So you could hear it in his voice right there. That's... You know, you can't see most of his head, but, like, he fucking sells it with, like, his voice in his mouth. And this is an example right here. Fucking love this monologue. Like, you know, the Stallone one, you know, is funny to fucking laugh at, but this is, like, legit. Like, uh, when I imagine Dread, this is how I imagine he sounds and how he fucking acts. And I think Carl Urban nails it right here with this uh, little speech on the intercom. Yeah, it's, it's, you know... Brief, but packs a powerful punch, you know? So, Hackboy has been tracing him the entire time, we learn. And we find out that he's only 10 floors below. Um, Mama, of course. He takes out the uh, gang, trying to kill him with incendiary. 
And this yeah. is like a, well, fucking a fucking deadly fireworks shot that engulfs everyone that that the flames touch. Like, yeah, it's a massacre. And um, he wasn't in the booth. Like they thought he was in a booth talking, but it's like a fucking dead body. He's right, right. And he's like on the balcony above or whatever and fucking just massacres. And it's just funny because you see Mama just watching this, like her half her gang or whatever. All her good guys are getting fucking just melted <laughs> right in front of her face. Uh, yes. Um, yeah, as Mama calls in the corrupt judges, Lex, Kaplan, Chan, and Alvarez, who revi- who relieve Volt and Guthrie of their duties, um, because they get into the building, like, they're like, they've been trying to get in, they claim, but to no avail, and the, the one judge is like, let us in, voila, Thor opens right up. So they walk in and relieve these two of their duties as they're entering. And yeah, there they first line of action is they execute the fucking medic after he tells them that there's been a that he's been there the entire time and, and seen everything unfold. He knows the truth. So they shoot him in the head. And then they head up to uh Ma Mama and agree to take out Dread for a hot mill. Hot and Millie before telling her to make Anderson dead right then and there. Um, and we learn that Dredd's low on ammunition. He encounters Judge Chan first and is quickly suspicious that he doesn't ask about um, Anderson's status after he makes it clear that the two of them made the call, not just him. So the two get into this fight that ends with Dredd just fucking violently smashing this club over tr- fucking Chan's throat. God damn. He just like crushes his fucking throat in with this little club yeah, strike. It's nuts. Yeah, it's like his windpipe and his fucking voice box are just like crushed in you. Like, you can see the indent. Yeah. And it's brutal. And I just want to say like this shows how confident Dredd is like. Yeah, he's a tough motherfucker and he can fight, but he's also smart. Like, he's like, okay, there's this judge all of a sudden showing up, somehow getting past all the blast doors, and they're not even asking about my partner. So, like, that just shows right there. He's always thinking, like, always thinking about the angles and realizes it really quick. I'm glad they don't fuck around in this movie and have the will you notice or won't he notice. Like, nah, fucking Dread realizes right away these guys are crooked and starts knocking the uh, other judges off. So yeah, Kay, he tries to execute Anderson with her own weapon, but the lawgiver, uh, the the DNA scanner doesn't recognize him and explodes, takes his fucking hand <laughs> right off, explodes. Reminds me of Blade. <laughs> yeah, it does. It reminds me. Yes, exactly. That's what I was thinking too. Uh, she roundhouse kicks him and escapes. I'm assuming that kills him because this is the last we see of Kay. I mean his whole hand is fucking blown off so I mean he would have to get attention right away if he was going to survive I mean maybe they had him plan to come back in the sequel with like robot hand or something I don't know I know that she kills a couple guys and one of them by firing his assault rifle gone off under his chin but the effect looks pretty fucking mangled up and I'm surprised I never noticed it before but yeah, there's this shot here. She shoots this guy 
like ex- makes his head explode from like firing the uh you know auto gun underneath of his chin and like th- the effect is like some dodgy computer effect that I just couldn't take my eye off I had to rewind it too and check it out again I was just like yikes um yeah Anderson is uh explicitly shown using her telepathic abilities as a weapon most notably when she has a duel in the center of the mind with K that leaves him wetting himself that we talked about earlier so if you pay attention during that scene though you'll make you know uh, you'll notice a more subtle use of her powers she lets K shoot at her with her own sidearm during the imagined fight thus planting the idea of using her weapon against her in his mind. You see what I'm getting at here? So when he later goes for real, it turns out to be very bad for him, yada yada, and that's the kind of it has a better explanation as to why he, why the fuck he did that. Yeah, I never thought of that yeah. until just now. Because yeah. he should know shit like that. It, it's it's kind of like, you know, the same thing... I vaguely remember also something about uh, about the Judge Dredd from 95. Because the same thing similar happens in the beginning of that. One of the gang members in the opening act from like like James Lamar and his gang that Judge Dredd goes after. <laughs> well, the one gets his gun. You just want to talk about James Lamar. You just want to talk about no, James but It's, just, it's the same scene though. Seriously. It's like the only scene besides the desert scene that I remember. But he... um. One of the characters goes to, you know, sh- shoot at Judge uh, or Dread with it, but I remember, you know, either Ramar or someone else in the gang yells, "No, don't, don't!" Because it, you know, and then when he goes, it, I think it electrocutes him, and that's how he gets killed. Whereas this, you know, we see it a little bit differently, but it's the same concept. Um, and yeah, he should know that kind of shit. So it's kind of questionable as to why he does it anyway, and you know allows his hand to get detached the way it does. Um, but as I was getting at, yeah, that I'm assuming that that's his death because we don't see him again. She just round roundhouse kicks him, and then that's it. You know. Um. So yeah, dread then goes into this drug lab. And he fires off a couple of rounds to scare away the workers. And then this is when Alvarez and Lex attack. But Alvarez is killed with one of his remaining shots under the high X set, uh, setting. Um, Lex manages to seriously hurt Dread though, using his armor-piercing setting on the lawgiver. And... Before he can finish out the sentence, Dredd stalls by saying, wait. He's like, wait a minute. Wait. <laughs> Guy's like, wait, are you serious? Like, you want me to actually sit here and fucking wait? Uh, lo and behold, Anderson knows behind him. And, you know, boom. Shows up at the right time, kills him, and then saves his ass. Wait. Wait. Are you kidding me? Did he just say wait? Judge Dredd. The Judge Dredd. Finally gets on the wrong end of a gun. And what he says is wait. 
You know what? I expected more of you. I mean, wait for what? Wait for me to change my mind? Wait for another two or three seconds of life because you're so fucking weak, you just can't stand to see it end? No. Shoot you. Drudd and Anderson head to Ma once and for all. They go to her hacker first to obtain the code to her apartment. And this is when Anderson sees the hell and torture he's been put through. And she lets him go because he's a victim. You want to know something? Yeah, he's a victim. Like, obviously, he's a hostage. And you want to know something funny? Uh, when I first saw this movie, it took me a little while to realize that he had, like, the robot eyes. <laughs> Because, like, when you first see him, you're just like, man, his eyes are fucking really dark. Like, at least for me, that's what I saw. And then, obviously, later you see, like, you know, you see the fucking robot eyes. But at first, I was like, why are his eyes all fucking dark and fucked up? Because, like, you got to think back when I saw this movie, or when we saw this movie, Dom Hall Gleason, I mean, he was in a few things, but he's not, he wasn't in nearly as much stuff as he, you know, is now, like, with the Star Wars and... The Revenant and um, fucking Black Mirror, all the other shit he's been in. So I was like, why is this guy's eyes are like really dark? I don't know. It was just like a side thing. I didn't realize at first that they were supposed to be robot eyes until after watching it for a little while. Uh, the first thing I remember seeing him in was the True Grit remake. Uh, yeah, yeah, he wasn't that. Yeah, because he's the guy who is essentially the Dennis Hopper character from the the, the original. Uh, who gets stabbed in the hand and then sh- uh, killed by? Cause he 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 babbles. He he like breaks down and shit, and his partner kills him. So, uh, and that was you know a couple years before this film. So this was one yeah, of the first yeah. movies I saw him in. Now, yeah, and uh, before they get to him, the hacker uh, character like. I just like because uh, Dred's like, time to reload. So they start taking all the other judges' ammo. And uh, just a little thing he says to uh, Judge Anderson, he said, you ready? And then this time he says, you look ready. Like So it's just, you know, a little thing, like a little bit of a uh, nod that like Dredd is kind of starting to respect Anderson and kind of, you know, thinks she might be a good judge. You know, just a little thing right there. He's like, you look ready. They enter Ma's apartment and light the place up. Once they encounter Mama, it's revealed that she's wearing a dead man switch with explosives on the top floors. That'll level the top 50 store, the fifty floors um, if she dies. So, reasoning that the detonator's signal will not... Re- well, first off, let me go back. Um... Dead man switch. What do you? How do you feel about this concept being inserted into the, the story? Uh, the concept I mean, of her saying, I "If I go, we all go." Yeah, I. I mean, I kind of get it. Like she has to have some sort of insurance plan, you know, because otherwise, you would reason like, why is she sitting there just letting the judge? Like, obviously, he's making his way up. Like he's kicking ass. Like, why wouldn't she go hide somewhere else or? basically run and it makes a little sense you know she thought she had insurance like you know she thought she could bargain but she didn't realize who she was fucking with here like you learned earlier with the earlier hostage (laughs) situation dread ain't fucking negotiating like he said this isn't a negotiation here's what's gonna happen you're gonna come with me and you're sentenced to death 
So, you know, she thought Jeez. she could bargain and reason and say, like, you know, you can't take a chance on something exploding. He's like, nah, fuck that. I'm going to shoot you in the side and fucking chuck you off a building and hope uh, you fall far enough that it won't uh, trigger it. You know, because what, he, what he's doing makes sense. Like, he can't, they can't communicate with fucking HQ, so why her, should her shit work, basically? I mean, I don't think her shit's going to be any more advanced than the judge's equipment that can't communicate through. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, 100%. Um, yeah, so going back to the uh, detonator signal, um, he deducts that the signal's not going to reach the explosives from the ground floor, and he forces her to inhale slow-mo and throws her down to the tower block below to, um, or through the tower block down to the ground, just like her victims earlier on, except she's not being skinned. Uh, she's getting hit with the drug, thrown out, and yeah, we see like this shot of dread that I feel like we saw in like every single previews TV spot and and trailer for this you know film imaginable is that shot of like sparkling broken glass with dreads hand out kind of like waving but he's not waving he's kind of it's kind of like he's waving bye-bye to a falling you know mama because it's, it's it's clearly you know her first person's perspective after she's kicked out of the window or thrown out or whatever and she's falling back like <laughs> There's just that shot of all the yeah. sparkling glass and shit, and then his hands just outward as the the cameras or the view is just panning back like she's falling. We're a kilometer above ground. What do you figure the range is on that thing? Could it get through 100 levels of concrete? How about 200? Let's find out. Citizen Mama, your crimes are multiple homicide the manufacture and distribution of narcotics. How do you plead? Defense noted. My favorite effect of this, you know, is when you see the first person perspective of them getting tossed over. It happens earlier on, but I forgot to talk about it then, so I'm bringing it up now. It's the first person view of being tossed over. Me speaking as a person who, you know, hates heights, it's, it's still a fucking cool visual, and, and, and it, it's 
terrifying for someone like me to watch, but I, I don't know. I still am fascinated by it. So it's cool. It's a cool effect. So she's thrown out and then like we see the slow-mo. It's kind of like the longest fall ever for a, a, a villain. And it's kind of like, like a drawn out death for our film's main villain here. And then we even yeah. get this. It's, it's, I get the concept behind it, but I'm still questioning why we did it this way. Like, it's kind of like she hits this, like, imaginary glass plate or, like, something, like, and we see her head kind of, like, explode without it touching anything. It's kind of like, you, you see what I, you know what I mean? Because it, it makes this, uh, first off, when her face hits it, it's like the blood splatter makes the form of an X, you know, kind of like Dred's helmet. And then it, it's supposed to resemble her head hitting the ground. But it's like, uh, it's like a glass. I don't know. It's hard to put in the words. I feel like I'm making sense, but I'm not. Yeah, I mean, essentially, to me, it's the ground. Yes, but it's like glass. Yeah, like we can see through the ground. Thank and you. I appreciate. It. I I really like the shot. It's you know, I don't gory know. ten and years later, it's weird looking for me. It I thought is it was a little weird bit. looking. But at least it's unique. Like, at least, you know, it's a different way of doing it where it's earlier you see him hit and it's kind of gruesome. Whereas this, it has the serene music. It has all the pretty colors. And you see her just kind of peacefully hit the ground. You see the blood spread. It's kind of pretty almost in a weird, disgusting way. So I kind of appreciate that because, like, this movie, like, you have this action and this brutal scene where Judge Dredd chucks her over the edge like a fucking sack of potatoes. But it has, like, the serene music and the pretty colors and right. the slow motion. And it just looks beautiful and awesome with her falling. And I think it's just such a fucking epic way for the main uh, villain to go out in this movie. I just love it. And I just love Dread. He's just like, fuck you. You're going over the edge. <laughs> That's essentially what he does. He's just like, I'm not talking to you. I'm not negotiating. Let's see how well your shit works all the way on the ground. Bye. <laughs> Chucks her off. I love it. I love the whole sequence. Yep, and then uh, yeah, finally we see Anderson accept that she has to, you know, she she failed her evaluation by getting disarmed, so she leaves, and the chief judge asks Dredd about Anderson's performance, and he responds that she passed, and that's essentially the end of our movie here, the end of Dredd 2012. Um... All right, let's talk box office receipts. In the operational funds box, we will deposit 250,000 American dollars. You take it out, we put more in. I want receipts. All right, so the film premiered, like I said, uh, July 11th, 2012 at the San Diego Diego Comic-Con before being released a couple months later, September 7th. 2012 from Lionsgate Films. It opened up across 2,506 screens, grossing $6.2 million opening weekend, opening up in sixth place. Second weekend, it dropped 62.3%. Yikes! Grossing only $2.3 million, dropping down to 11th place. Total grows $41.5 million against a 30 to $45 million budget. 
lot to take in <laughs> here because I know I'm pretty sure I'm like five percent of the fucking gross for this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure you are too. Uh, no. First off, um, I I didn't I don't remember these numbers being this low. I knew they were low, but I didn't. I mean, especially this fucking drop off, second weekend drop off, sixty two point four. I mean three. That's nuts. That's like a horror movie drop off. Yeah, nobody cared. I mean, I think the only reason it even made it is forty one million as far as it did. Because hearing those numbers, you wouldn't even think it made that much. Like the first two weekends of only making what nine or ten million, and that's it. But I just think the strong word of mouth was kind of what at least held it on a little bit to make at least not make it a fucking like complete catastrophic bomb. You know? Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's, it's one of life's many mysteries, uh, about this movie and why it just didn't make the money it did. It could have, it could have been so much more people, people were clamoring at this time to comic book films, but not in the same sense it were. I wonder if they were to make this movie five years later instead of 2012, let's say it comes out in 2017. I'm going to say if this film came out a year or two after Deadpool, because I think Deadpool was kind of, you know, came out like three or four years later and kind of proved that the, you know, you can't have an adult comic book movie and it can be a, a box office hit. I think if this would have came out a year or two after Deadpool and dialed up the satire a little bit more, I think it could have did well. If it was marketed well and it dialed up the satire, like in the comic books, I think it could have been successful then but uh just came out i I think a little too early Mm -hmm. and you know the marketing was okay but you know i think a lot of people just didn't get excited like oh it's got slow motion like oh we see that and everything you know and not realizing how beautiful it was actually gonna be and how much other good stuff was gonna be in there because i'll be honest when i first when we first saw this i I was like, I, it looked good, but I wouldn't say I was like really excited. I wasn't sold until I actually watched it fully. You know, I'll be honest there. Yeah, I, I really don't have much more to comment on as far as the box office goes. I mean, I'm just, uh, that 62% still lingers. That's, that's quite the drop. And I just sometimes, you know, think about, you know, what could have been had this film you know, waited a few more years. Uh, would the numbers have been different? Would they have been higher? Would they have been lower? Who knows? But uh, well, and it didn't. It didn't help with the raid either, because you know, obviously, the raid a completely different. Mo- like they're not similar movies whatsoever. But everybody, you heard it every time. Well, the raid came out, and this movie is just another concept. But I'm like, this was in development way before the raid, and even if it wasn't. If the, both the movies are getting released at the same time, they would have had to, like, you you can't rip off a movie that well, like, in pre-production. Like, they would have had to have been in production. Like, I don't know how you can call a movie a rip-off when they both came out around the same time. I, I don't know. That doesn't make any sense to me. But I, I know. Y- you I always know. heard about that comparison. <laughs> fucking weird. Which is silly to me. Like, other yeah. than they're in a fucking building locked up. Like, I mean, and, come on. And, and for those of you saying, oh, sounds like, you know, $41.5 million, you know, in the budget only being 30 to $45 million, there's a chance that this could have made money. No. Hold your britches there. I 
tell this story all the time. It's not really a story. It's just a, a fact. I mention it here on the show all the time. I have since episode one. You take that budget, you double it because you also have marketing, ads, stuff like that. And that's usually the same price. I mean, the same amount as like your overall budget. So, yeah. So, yeah. essentially, this film cost around 60 to 70 million to uh to make not 30 to 45 so yeah it was a bomb and you know like i said the blu-ray sales were good like i remember reading that this had really good numbers like you know it sold you know hundreds of thousands of copies but it just wasn't the the market wasn't there to save it enough where it could warrant a sequel it just wasn't it's just not like that anymore you don't hear about movies really anymore that don't do well in the box office but sell a lot of physical copies because nobody buys physical copies other than weirdos like us pretty much that's it all right let's move on now to the critics corner and see what they had to say about this film Real quick, the film has a Rotten Tomatoes score of 79% based off 165 reviews with a critical consensus that says fueled by bombastic violence and impressive special effects, rooted in self-satire and deadpan humor, Dread 3D does a remarkable job of capturing its source material's gritty spirit. Um, I slowed down because I forgot to mention uh, throughout this entire episode that this film's original title was Dread 3D, but obviously now you got to drop that 3D portion and just call it what it is, and that is Dread. So, um, yeah, that, that's, the, that's the first and only time I'm going to refer to this film as Dread 3D this entire episode. So, But yeah, um, the film also has a meta score of 60 out of 100 based on 30 reviews and a cinema, ma- a cinema score of B. Uh, let's see here. Let's start with uh, Mark Savlov from the Austin Chronicle. Gave it three and a half out of five, saying, I may have never seen a non-horror film as relentlessly, brutally, and crowd-pleasingly violent as this skin-tight adaptation at the long of the long-running British comic book character. Um, but he loved it. So... Kyle Smith of the New York Post gave it only one out of four. He said, My notes are as follows. Shoot bad guy. Shoot bad guy. Shoot bad guy. <laughs> All right, motherfucker. All I right, see, you I, jackass. I, I, I see you, Kyle <laughs> Smith. Um, so you're one of those... He's one of those guys It's like, Oh, well, the plot wasn't complex and the characters weren't deep enough he for had, me so he this had movie to have sucks. A, he had to have himself a hip review you know something that stood out you definitely stood out just not the right reasons so joe morgenstern from the wall street journal said what's exceptional is the orchestration of color form light and dark lots of dark 3d technology and digital effects into a look that amounts to be a vision all right, 
James Bernardinelli gave it three out of four, said not much of what Dread has to offer is new or groundbreaking, but the fusion of familiar elements generates a smartly paced, suspenseful 90 minutes. That's a vast improvement over the 1995 film, although not quite on par with The Raid Redemption when it comes to pure, unspurgated action. I knew we'd get the word out. Tom Huddleston uh, gave the film a 3 out of 5. said, Travis makes the most of limited resources. The industrial backdrops are stunning. The action scene sizzle and the eye of the addict slow-mo sequences are sickeningly beautiful. See, that's, that's the perfect term for it. Sickeningly beautiful. Because that's exactly how... I, th- I th- that's, That would be kind of like one of the first things that would come to my mind too. When... um we describe the slow-mo sequences because again they are the standout of this movie um so yeah overall what i take from all this is that the and and and, trust me i went through a bunch of fucking reviews but i can you know take quotes here and there and 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 go up and down them all i want the but at the end of the day the film got mixed reviews from critics um which is actually better than what I remember it being. I thought this film kind of got torn a new asshole back after it was released, but no, uh, it got kind of a pretty modest um, reception uh, from at least the critics that matter. You know, fucking people like Kyle Smith. I think his he's a reviewer for something called like Real View or some bullshit or something like that. I think I might have got that mixed up with another reviewer, but still. Um, eh, forget him. Exactly. Nobody cares about him. I know. He's he's the hip guy of the group, so always got to be that asshole, right? Um, but yeah, um, just your typical average, you know, uh, mixed review, mixed bag. We're talking up to that mixed bag. I don't know. I I always remember just it got good reviews. Like I wouldn't say great, wouldn't say bad. Like it, it was fine. Like I think people liked it. You know, people also hated it. So, all right. Well, let's talk about what we loved and hated. Pros and cons. Before I take on any job, I look at it the same way as it takes to make the thing positive versus negative. Now, you mix a little bit of this with a little bit of that, and you get a reaction. All right, Core, this is your baby. Why don't you start off with your pros? Yeah, so my first pro is definitely the performances. Carl Urban owns it. I mean, he sells it. Like, you don't see his face other than his mouth. Uh, but just even the way his mouth and his chin move, he, you know, it's exaggerated. But he does a great job. So the performances, uh, Olivia Thurlby is really good. Uh, you know, I think she's a little underrated. I'm a huge fan of the movie The Wackness that came out. Uh, I think a couple years it's before good shit. this. That's good. Yeah, shit. that was a good movie. Her and Josh pa- Josh Peck nope. and uh, Ben Kingsley. Nope. Awesome movie. It is. It um, is. She was good in this though. Was playing like the rookie with a you know that wants to make a difference, and then at the end she's mm-hmm. jaded a little bit, but she gets her way. So I really enjoyed her and. Uh, I got to mention Lena Headey, you know, not perfect. Like, you know, I wouldn't say she's like a super memorable villain, but she does a good job. I, I like the idea of the character and she sells it as like this quiet, just sadomasochistic 
former prostitute. I think she does a really good job and, you know, she's still somewhat intimidating in her own way. So the performances are definitely number one. Um, my next one has to be the cinematography and the slow-mo, uh, just the slow motion shots to me, the best use of slow motion, probably other than the matrix. Like to me, matrix is maybe one, a, this is one B, you know, so many movies use the slow motion, but this film actually has a reason, you know, do the slow-mo drug and just pulls it off beautifully. It just shows what you can do with the manipulation of time and the color and just the way everything, uh, is just beautiful. Like just, I love this serene music that starts playing during the slow motion scenes. Everything turns, like I said before, cell shaded and kind of animated and just mm -hmm. so glisteny and almost heavenly, I would say kind of and i just appreciate it. it just stands out like i cannot get those shots out of my head uh you know as soon as anybody would mention dread that music and uh the visuals the slow motion stuff just pops right in and it just gives such a good contrast to like the dirty urban areas that you're seeing in this film so it definitely has to be the cinematography and slow-mo is my next pro um, and then my last pro is the pacing. Like, I just appreciate this movie is 90 minutes, you know, in an era where so many movies are two hours plus. I just like a basic action movie like this, and I just appreciate that it's 90 minutes and, you know, it doesn't fuck around. Like, it just gets going, it keeps you going, uh, and it's just entertaining. It's just a good, quick sit, and it gives me that action fix. So I definitely would say my pro for me is you don't see a ton of movies at 90 minutes anymore, at least not action movies like this. So I, I really did appreciate that. Um, and my last pro is the music. Uh, I'm just a fan of like the industrial kind of electronic music uh, during most of the parts. It almost feels like it's like marching fucking electrical music when the judge is just mowing through people. And then you get the serene, uh, quiet music during the slow-mo shots. So the music, uh, to me, deserves a call-out as my last pro. All right. For me, um, it plays out like a video game. And I can't stress enough how much I love that aspect of this. It's it's It makes the, the film such a fun and unique uh, viewing um, that it's just... Other than the way I just interpreted it, like you know, it, it plays out like a video game. There's no other way to describe it unless you've you know seen it for yourself. Uh, it's, it's simple and to the point. It, it's that that's because of Ace editing. You mentioned editing. I, I I couldn't agree more with you. And finally, Carl Urban himself, his portrayal of the character, it's uh, pretty damn near perfect. Let's put it that way. So, how about cons? What do you what do you got? So, you know I love this movie. So, my only con for this film would well, actually I'll I'll say there's two, two minor cons. One, there's a few spots in this film where it looks a little cheap. Uh I think I mentioned it before, but the motorcycle uh you know, that that whole sequence like it's not bad, but just the shots of him on the motorcycle it looks a little cheap. And also, I think a missed opportunity, like when the van crashes there in the beginning with the three guys, how are you not going to have a slow-mo shot of that? But my guess would be is they probably just didn't have the money for it. So there's a few times in this movie where the budget kind of shows where I kind of wish they had just maybe a little bit more budget, a little bit bigger scope. Uh, 
to deal with. Uh, you know, I think overall it handles it well, but that's just a minor con. And then probably my biggest con for the movie, I wish it was a little more satire. There is satire in the film. You know, it does have some commentary, um, you know, about the way society is and the way it's going. But in the comics, it's laid on a lot more thick. And I kind of wish this movie had it. I wish it had a little bit more satire, a little bit more sense of humor, almost leaning a little bit more towards like another of my favorite films, RoboCop. Kind of wish it just had a little bit more of that, a little bit more RoboCop satire in it. And I think this film would be perfect. So that would be my two cons. All right. For me, um, uh, the effects just haven't aged the, all the best. Um, the, the main villain, it's like ho hum. Let's <laughs> be realistic. Uh, and the characters just make bad choices too often for my taste. So uh, that's it. Three simple cons. Uh, so we can move on. And we are moving on to Mulligan Moment. If you had to do it all over again, would you make the same choices? Uh, I'll go first. I would change the fact. Uh, I, w- I would have them do more with the four evil judges. Like, they just show up and die, posing no real threat. They're supposed to go toe-to-toe with Dread, but he takes them out like they're nothing, and it's when he's at his worst and the most vulnerable and weakest and weaponless in some instances, you know, when he just takes them out like they're no one else. Like they're just another <laughs> criminal. One of the other many, many, many people who have already died in this film. Like, um, I just, it's kind of hard to take them seriously after that. So I, I would definitely give them, you know, I would make I would make them just bigger in every every single meaning of the aspect. So how about you? Well, I couldn't agree with you more. You know, it made sense to me that the dread could just mow through the people in Peachtree. You know, that made sense. Like these people might be gang members, but they're not trained. They don't have the greatest equipment. So I understand why Dread and Anderson can just mow through people then. But then, like you said, you have the judges show up, and I get Dredd is supposed to be like a legend. He's supposed to be the best of the best, the shining light in the city. But come on, you could have it be a little bit more of a threat. I mean, I know he comes close to when he says, wait, you know. I know he's fucked up there, and he's close to maybe dying. But I agree. I I wish there was a little more resistance at the end, because basically judges show up, they're there for five minutes, they're dead. And then they just go right up and get Mama. I just wish there was a little more resistance there. I know Dread is like an unstoppable force, but you could have him get a little bit closer to the edge of, you know, getting taken down. I feel like the four judges versus two, no matter how good Dread is, you know, the odds would be stacked against him a little bit more, in my opinion. So, yeah, I completely agree with you there. I wish there was just a little bit uh, more of that and they were a little bit bigger of a threat, the four judges. All right, let's move on. The finger looking good. Finger licking good. Yeah, the Gatling gun sequence. That fucking massacre is like just one of the many highlights of this film. Uh, it's the one thing that comes to mind instantly when I think about this movie is that sequence. Uh, I, I just... There's a lot going on in this movie and that's just... 
like I said, something that's always just stood out and still does. It's 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 pretty intense. It's pretty honestly frightening, downright frightening to think about. Like what if you were one of the residents there in the line of fire? You know, what would you get what would you do? So there's just a lot more of that scene than what you think. Um so anyway, how about you? Yeah, so if you hadn't picked that, I would have picked the Gatling gun scene. Uh, I'm a huge fan too. I think it's uh, just an awesome concept of, you know, it makes sense. Like they would box uh, the judges in and just start going to town with these big um, Gatling guns. And I appreciate just like some of the shots that they do. Like, you know, you have these Gatling guns shooting across this big building and like they shoot it from underneath and you see like all the, you know, like these pretty chaser shots of all the bullets going across and all the smoke and everything. Like it's just very pretty. And then I love the way it ends where fucking Dredd just throws the, um, you know, uh, Mama's big, I forget his name, but Mama's heavy. Just, he just throws him off the fucking balcony right in front of her. I just love the way that ends. Like he just walks out, throws him over Dredge is like, end, and then fucking walks back. Like, I, I, I just love that whole thing. Um, but I'll pick another one since you picked this one. I just want it to be exactly the same. Um, and to me, I definitely got to pick uh, Dredge's monologue. I love the little monologue. It's not anything super flashy. It's not anything super funny or anything like that. But right there, that's when I knew that Carl Urban fucking owned this role, and I love that whole scene. He gives the fucking monologue, I'm not fucking around, I'm the law, I'm coming for you, judgment time. And then, just to cap it off, he fucking just melts like half her gang right after. So, uh, I appreciate that scene. That would be a close second to me, is the monologue, and when he starts just fucking incendiary everybody on the floor. I love that scene too. So those are my finger looking good. All right, like this, try that. You can deal with this, or you can deal with that. You can deal with this, or you can deal with that. You can deal with this, or you can deal with that. I just had this feeling that we have the same for this. <laughs> is it? Is it the Raid Redemption? No, no, oh. it's not the same. Okay, so that's what I had. I had the obvious. Obviously, I'll, I'll, I'll be cliche. Uh, and I'll, I'll go with Red Redemption, uh, a film that came out at the same time as this. They have a similar pros, uh, plot where uh, the, uh, an officer by himself with another partner. No, I think the Red Redemption, he's by himself. It's been a while since I've seen it. But yeah, he goes in and same concept by himself. Uh, has to go up to the fight, fights his way to the top, the tippy top. So, um, yeah. yeah, that's me. How about you? Great movie, yeah. It is, it is. Um, so this one, to me, it just fits like the premise and thematically, and that's John Carpenter's Escape from New York. Okay. Uh, obviously, it's different, but it's similar enough. I think it's a really good double feature, and uh, I've actually watched them back-to-back, and I think it fits very well just because, you know, in Escape from New York, you have Snake Plissken, Kurt Russell playing this fucking ultimate smooth badass, just going in and handling his shit. Uh, he's not trapped in a building, but he's trapped in New York, the city. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just one man going in and just taking out like this whole fucking gang and this whole city on his own. 
Um, and I just love Escape from New York. So I get a lot of feel, uh, like Dread just reminds me of Escape from New York in certain ways, just like that noir way and the lone hero going in. So I get a lot of vibes from that. So I think Escape from New York, fucking awesome movie. One of my favorite of Carpenters. So I think it goes really well with this. I think if you enjoy Dread, you would really enjoy Escape from New York and Adrian Barbeau's in it. So that's a bonus too. <laughs> Uh, yes, Miss Barbell. All right, movie MVP. All right, now you might think I'm a little biased, but I take my job as a presenter very seriously. I will show no favoritism. I am here to honor excellence. And the most valuable player is. Mr. Carl Urban. That's what I'm going with. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you could, I mean, come on now. He's, he's the reason for this movie. Um,. You know, he's just great. He's born to play this role. So, I mean, what, who'd you have? You chuckle like you had someone else. Who'd you have then? No, I chuckled because that's like the only real choice. <laughs> yeah, I mean, okay, okay. That's what I figured. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, I Carl, Carl Urban, you know, I mentioned I'd seen him in like Star Trek and liked him in that. Uh, and Priest, I think, came out a year before this, and I liked him in Priest just fine, but this is when I knew. I was like, oh, yeah, this guy, yep. like, he can act. Like The fact that he sells it when he wears the helmet, because literally he puts the helmet on at the beginning. You don't even see his head. like He's in shadows, Yeah, and he wears the helmet the whole time because that's the way it is in the comic. It's not like the fucking Stallone movie where he's just wears the helmet for two seconds and takes it off because it's Stallone. You know, uh, Urban commits like he's wearing the fucking helmet the whole time. So all you get is, you know, his fucking bottom of his nose and his mouth and he makes it work like, yeah, could it, could some of his expressions with his mouth be considered over the top? Sure. But I mean, you got to do something and I think it works like it fucking stands out like just the way he moves his mouth around in different scenes. Like he has like the fucking clenched mouth and lips when he looks pissed <laughs> off. Right. And then, like, just other scenes, like, he just does a really good job of moving around, and he does a great job with a voice. Um, well, we got to add exact- to that, too, because I also read that, like, he did a great job. You're right. You you nailed it. But you also should mention that he did a great job, given the circumstances that, you know, he had to act with just the bottom half of his face because he's normally used to, yeah. you know, facial expressions are pretty much gone now. You have to act with just your lips and shit. So, yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, I, I just give him respect. Like, you know, from a physicality point, like I bought that, you know, Carl Urban was in that suit and he was a fucking judge. Like I bought that he was just a lethal killing machine. The whole time. Uh, and like I was saying, like, I just dig the voice. Like, it's just done well. Like, it, it's just the right amount of grit. And it has that fucking deadpan delivery in some of the spots. And he lightens it up just here or there. Like, at the end of the monologue. Like, judgment time. Like, he, he does it just right. I, I wish there was a little <laughs> more of that type of stuff. Yeah. But yeah, Carl Urban owns this fucking movie. I would pay anything to see him do it again. I, I wish we could get that again. Yeah, it would be nice, but mm, I don't know. Unfortunately, I think the time has passed. All right, let's, uh, well, we're almost done here. Let's move on to the uh, final effect treatment. Ow. On a scale of one. Ow. On a scale. Ah. On a scale. Ow. 
On a scale of one to ten. <laughs> on a scale of one to ten. Give me the damn veggies. What do you think? All right, so final rating for this, I gave this three and a half stars, and um, it, it 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 definitely deserves. Excuse me, it definitely deserves the 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 full film effects seal of approval because you know it's basically. Well, it's your basic action vehicle with a rock-solid 90 minutes runtime. It's, uh, you know, like I said before, pretty basic. But also, when I say that, it's just a perfect blend of it's the right time with the right amount of action, dialogue. Um, you know, it, it wipes the floor with that 95 bullshit. I mean, that's right there should be reason enough to be all in on this film. So, how about you? So to me, this is an easy four star out of five movie. Uh, I just love this movie. Uh, you know, I acknowledge it's not perfect. So, you know, I have to knock a star off because like I said, I wish it had a little more satire. Uh, I wish it didn't look as cheap as it does in certain parts. I wish there was just a little bit more. You know, I think if this movie got a sequel, I think we could have got that uh, movie and that might have been the four and a half or five star like masterpiece. Uh, but this one wasn't quite there. It's four stars uh, for me, but it always holds a special place in my heart. The movie just delivers. Like, yeah, it's a basic action movie, 90 minutes, run and gun. Like, they're just basically gunning people down. But it delivers. It delivers with all the things I said before about the visuals and the slow motion. Delivers with the violence. Like, some of it doesn't look great, but a lot of it looks fucking brutal. Uh, and I appreciate that. Like when I think of judge dread, I think of that, like it should just be brutal violence and it delivers, uh, just the action. Like everything's just credible, uh, with the way that dread moves around and, uh, with his gun, uh, the world just looks good. Like, uh, you know, it's not perfect, but I like the mega city and the fucking huge mega buildings, uh, it's just all interesting to me. I, you know, I wish it was a little bit more. I wish we weren't necessarily sealed inside of a building the whole time. Um, but for what the movie does, I, th- I think it executes near perfectly for its premise and its budget and what they had to work with. And I think any person that's a fan of action movies, uh, will enjoy this movie. Uh, you know, maybe not to the extent I do, um, but I, I just think it's a great film. Uh, you know, as one, uh, just any action fan can sit down, 90 minutes, you don't need a ton of backstory, you don't need to be there three hours, it doesn't need to have these epic characters and uh, complicated story, just 90 minutes, run and gun, simple, in and out, and enjoy myself, and that's why I appreciate this film, uh, and you know, I really don't think there's a ton of, I, I think it's just great, at, or at least good at pretty much everything, so that's why I enjoy it, and you know, I'll keep uh, shouting from this movie from the rooftops because I know I might over kind of value it but uh, I don't know I, I just love it I put it up there as you know just an awesome action movie so it definitely gets the uh, seal of, of approval the film effects seal of approval from me and uh, four stars alright well this episode sponsored by Whoever Mega City One gets to keep those judge helmets squeaky clean, and seriously, it's it's beyond impressive throughout all the films, uh, throughout the film, all that shit that you know Dread goes through, but uh, manages to keep that hel- that helmet shiny, clean. And I just I wonder who they get to to keep it like that. So, anyway, as always, 
that's going to be a wrap on our episode about 2012's Dread, a film that gets that full film effect seal of approval, as we just discussed. One down, many more to follow. Check out our ever-going collection of previous episodes over at our website, which, of course, is thefilmeffectpodcast.com. And please follow us on social media for future announcements and up-to-the-minute news and updates and just interact with us follow along it's just it's one big great party follow um, where to begin <laughs> that sounded really weird I was like follow um, <laughs> follow follow no follow on Facebook and Instagram at the Film Effect Podcast we're on Twitter which is honestly the best way to get a hold of us that's we're most active there at Film Effect Pod uh, TikTok at Film Effect Podcast, YouTube. That link is in the episode notes, um, <laughs> and our email address. You should just read it out, like no, I'm not. A B C five six. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uppercase Z. No, um, and our email address is, of course, as always, the Film Effect Podcast at gmail.com. and also um, ratings. And reviews, like I say, every episode, Apple, Spotify, and the website, thefilmeffectpodcast.com slash review, um, is, you know, we it helps us in many ways. Um, there's this thing called an algorithm, and that pretty much determines who gets noticed and who doesn't. Who gets put on notice, who gets, you know... Uh, who the IP or not IP? Who the IE wants to who wants to share your? Uh, how am I trying to describe this? I'm doing a shitty job. I'm really failing right now. Um, to describe the algorithm, which is well, hard in its own way, is like it, it, the more you guys interact with us and 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 spread the word and whatnot, the more the algorithm sees that and the more it sees that the more it's gonna you know broadcast us there you know share us with with the um the world or or whatever it's gonna put us out there above other podcasts and stuff you know we're gonna get more recognition and stuff like that um I still feel like yeah. I'm doing a it, bad it job but it's even better but then it's still a better job uh, than what the, the originally what yeah. I said yeah, I'm not a computer hacker on the interwebs or anything, so I don't know what exactly goes into the algorithm. But what I do know is, you know, if you're promoted, you pop up higher in search results, and you get we get recommended to other people. And we want to keep growing and giving more content, so that's the way we do it. We get more ratings, we get more people talking about it. Exactly. Um, and being real, one thing I have noticed is we have not had a review posted since March so um, yeah I mean and I see the numbers I know people are listening that's right I'm talking to you right now you yeah you you're listening when you're done go to Apple Spotify or our website and leave a review do us a solid come on do it just that one time and And you don't have to kiss our ass just be as honest as you can be you know, if if you hate this show, if you think I talk too much, if you think uh, I don't give a shit, whatever. What seriously, guys? Honestly, 
whatever you're feeling, let us know. Um, and yeah, and we'll, and in return, we'll be thankful. <laughs> and I just want to throw this out there too. On Spotify, you can rate. I didn't know this though. I, I was on my computer the other day. You can't rate on the web player on your computer for Spotify. That's weird. Only in an app. It is weird. You can do it like it pops up on when I'm in the app on my phone or my tablet. But if I'm on the web player on my computer, right. there is no rating. I can see that so changing though, probably because that's also a new feature in, in general. Like that, Spotify just rolled out ratings. And when I say that, like it's not like Apple or a website where you can type out why you like the show or whatever. It's just a simple rating you can give on Spotify. That's the only feature, but it's still a good feature. It's 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 something new, and you know I'm sure it's gonna roll out across more than just the uh, the app, but you know that's what it is for now. I, I'm sure I'm sure it might. I'm just letting people know, right. like if you're listening to us on your computer through Spotify, you might have to hop on your phone if you felt so uh, you know intrigued that you wanted to uh, leave a review. I didn't know that. I thought it was weird that you can't leave a rating mm-hmm. uh, anywhere on Spotify. To me, that's kind of odd. You know, I'm sure they'll fix it, but for now, get on your phone if you need to. <laughs> yeah, and I can imagine. I'm sure the majority of our listeners are operating from their phones anyway, so use that app, people. Um, in the meantime, uh, as always, check out FewerCast every Friday, brand new episodes. Um, last week, our episode was Jaws. It was a good one. It was our longest episode yet, which in turn means it was our biggest episode <laughs> it was a long one but it's worth it because uh we had if you don't count uh make the batman or casino part two <laughs> yeah we we shut up we had mega jaws fans jeff and jocelyn on jocelyn is actually now our official crew member she's part of the film effect family and she'll be on future episodes as well as you can check out uh her voice and opinions every Friday on FewerCast. Um, other than that, I'm going to do one thing that um, I should have teased at the start of the episode, but I didn't. I forgot to. And so um, it's kind of acting as a thank you for sticking with this uh, uh, this long one the episode. I'm going to go ahead and reveal the true 100% itinerary, the lineup. For the rest of the summer. I'm going to give you guys. Because on Fewercast last week. I talked about. You know scaling back to doing. One episode a week. And plus we have. You know there was a couple of hiccups. Unfortunately our. Once upon a time in Hollywood episode. Um, has been knocked to. We don't know when it's going to drop yet. Because we don't know when we're going to be able to record it. Because things happen on a personal scale. And um. We, we just don't know when we're going to be able to get everyone who wants to be a part of that one together. Um, hoping to do it by the end of the month, but I can't make any promises. But I can promise you that what I'm about to reveal is gold. Like, this is it, gang. I'm not changing a thing. Like, I'm sticking to my guns here. So, here we go. Starting this Thursday... We are going to have a special episode on Thief. Yes, Thief. The same film that 
myself and previous co-host Sean covered last year. I am redoing just like True Romance. Well, not really redoing. I'm doing again with a new co-host. I want to get someone else's perspective. So, I, I would like. Uh, we might have another person or two on that episode, but for now, it's going to be myself and Corey talking about that. Of course, in memory of the late James Khan, who we just lost this past week, um, which just just fucking floored me, and um, the, just. I couldn't think of a better way to honor him than to talking about heat with you now. So getting a fresh take on that one. So, you know, it's, it's kind of like an all new perspective of, of the film. Yeah. I'm looking forward to talking about it. Cause that's one, uh, that I discovered later in life, mm. you know, like I didn't grow up watching mm. thief or anything right. like that, but every time I watch it, I just grow more appreciation for it. You know? Yeah. James Conn is Sonny Corleone, but to me, Thief is another one that when I think of James Caan, that's like one of his best performances and one of the best movies he's in. Mm-hmm. So I'm really excited to talk about it. And I'm so sad that he's gone. Obviously, he lived a full life, but it, it still hurts to lose such a big, notable, mm-hmm. important actor such as himself. You know, uh, yeah. it, it's like literally we just recorded and like the day after the news drops about him passing and it's just... So sad. This year has just been terrible for that. Like, and, just and, and so many we, icons. And then we just lost fucking Polly Walnuts from The Sopranos, Tony Sirico. I saw that. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. So it's it's it sucks, dude. One by one, they're all falling down. It's it's ah, uh, stop it, stop it. You already fucking took Betty White from us. What was that last year? They, uh, that's right, last year claimed Betty White. But goddamn, stop. All right. Continuing the raw uh, the lineup reveal, uh, the, then we're getting to the social network next Tuesday, on July nineteenth, and then following that on July twenty sixth, we got our Dark City episode. Um, again, to be determined. Once upon a time in Hollywood. So once we get that together, that'll act as a bonus surprise drop. You're not gonna know it's coming. It's just coming. Um, so getting into August now, August 2nd, Waterworld. I know Justin's going to be on for that episode with us, but we're doing Waterworld. <laughs> yeah, dude. That's a Justin movie. That's a Justin movie for sure. Um, <laughs> following week, we're going to be celebrating the 40th anniversary of Fast Times Richmond High. Doing that. And then on the 16th, my birthday, which is the following week, See, last year, my birthday film was The Wrestler. What is my birthday film going to be this year? Well, I'll tell you what. It's between two films. And I just could not pick one between the two. So I've decided to do one on my birthday, the 16th. And the second film will be doing two days later. Yes, we're doing two episodes in the same week. But guess what? It's a rare thing. Well, not a rare thing. Well, it will become a rare thing all over again. And, uh, yeah, so one film on the 16th, one film on the 18th. Keep it with tradition. I'm not going to re- reveal the titles, even though I'm looking at them right now. You guys don't know what they are. Check them out on the 16th and the 18th. I promise they are good ones. Uh, one of them I've been talking to death for a while. On the 23rd of August, you and I, Koi, are returning to the Before Trilogy and doing Before Sunset. 
and then following out, uh, rounding out rather, August on the 30th, the follow the, the final Tuesday of the month, going to be doing the 50th anniversary of the last house on the left. And reason for that is because last year we got, this was recorded so long ago, it's, it's Sean's going to be a part of that whether he likes it or not, because that was one that me and him both recorded with uh, Mark Scheffler, the actor who played Junior in that movie. We sat down and talked to him last holiday season, and we saved that interview for this episode knowing that this year was the 50th. So we got a bunch of stuff, you know, still planned. Um, this one, of course, has been planned for many, many months now, so we're finally, um, rolling it out and I'm excited to do it. So, um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's a good lineup coming up. You know, it's, I'm, I'm pumped. It's definitely so good. And I'm, I'm, I'm currently staring at September's lineup, which is about 75% done. And look at that. And then Horathon. Look at that. <laughs> Horathon 2022. Oh, yes. I'm looking at so <clears throat> many titles. Cannot fucking wait. And, yeah. Uh, that's all she wrote. My hands are now clean of this episode. Until next time, Ed's the name they gave me, and nothing in life is free. Take care now. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody. This concludes our broadcast day.